a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. You want to start the show? You just did. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we were supposed to have the Tesla Museum, which is the museum that did the crowdfunding to try to buy one of Nikolai Tesla's old uh, laboratories. I believe it was in New Jersey, and they're trying to reopen as the Nikolai Tesla Museum. And I've been trying to set up an interview with these people forever. And then for whatever reason, she sent me an email saying that she was going to be busy this weekend after she agreed to come on the show. And then when I said, hey, can we try to set up a different time and a different date? They never got back with me. I think what happened is they probably went and listened to us and heard a couple of our more paranormal-oriented shows and probably did the stereotypical, I don't think I want to be involved with this kind of a thing back out on us. But I don't know that for certain, so whatevs. Anyways. Are you talking about Wardenclyffe? Wardenclyffe? What do you mean? That's where Tesla's site was in New York. Yeah, that's the the museum is. Yeah, that's that. That's the there. There was a group of people that went up and did a crowdfunding thing to get that museum, which they did, and they're in the process of reconditioning it, and they're going to try to open it up as the Nikolai Tesla Historical Museum. Nice. And me and you, it's well known that me and you are uh, Tesla freaks. Screw Edison. Yeah. Um, And (laughs) I've really, really been trying to get these people on, which I'm not bad-mouthing them in any way, shape, or form. They may legitimately have had something going on or whatever. Uh, And I'm still going to very politely but relentlessly try to pursue them to eventually get them on this show because we really (laughs) do have the best intentions. I would love to spread information about this museum and try to get support for it. Yeah, right. Because I really want to see it built. So hopefully, if you guys are out there listening, please, 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 please come on the show. Please come on the show. However, coming to save the day, there is a show that we listen to. Um, I know you do. I, I like them a lot. They're called mm-hmm. they're called Almost Educational. They're up in my neck of the woods. I think they're about 45 minutes to a half hour away from where I am. And they have a really cool podcast called Almost Educational, and they are actually school teachers. And what they do is they call them thought experiments, where every week they take a subject and they break it down. They cover alternate histories. Um, they, they're about the only show that I can listen to that talks about politics. Uh, they're not like us, but they do have 
they share with us their their desire to want to go out and teach people mm-hmm. something new and actually educate people about something. They're pretty funny, um, and I really I like what they, they do. Yeah, I think they're a great show, and we've been kicking around for a while, and they they listen to us, um, which I was a little nervous about because when I contacted <laughs> them, I was like, listen, just because we cover, cover paranormal stuff doesn't mean that we believe gray reptilians, uh, grays and reptilians are at war with one another. You know, we're not into Jesse Ventura conspiracy theories, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just an avenue of stuff. We, and they were like, no, we get it. We understand. It's cool. And I'm like, thank God, you know, because <laughs> yeah, I right. always have to give new people that speech that just because, because we've been through this before where like what possibly happened with the Tesla Museum, you know, where people see this and they go, well, I'm not really sure if I want to be associated with this kind of thing. Um, yeah. So they were cool. They got it. And uh, they're all about it. Mm-hmm. So the last few shows that they've done, they've covered different aspects of the world of superheroes they did a show comparing dr doom with vladimir putin they did a show recently about (laughs) what would happen if superman were to have crash landed in soviet russia as opposed to crashing into kansas how would that have changed the world you know whereas russia you know superman became this big uber super russian uh they've kicked the idea of batman back and forth if batman were a confederate or um you know in the civil war um, you know, they, they do these really cool thought experiments, more or less, and say, well, what happens with this or what happens with that? They've also done alternate history shows, which are pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So um, we've <clears throat> decided to do a show on the possibilities of actually creating superheroes. Is it possible to create real-life superheroes? We were originally going to talk about the ramifications of if Batman did exist or Superman did exist, what would it mean? But they kind of, I think they already went and did something like that. So then it mutated into, well, let's do a show about the possibilities of superheroes. If somebody wanted to become a superhero or we wanted to create a super soldier or if mutants do exist, how would it happen? Are we capable of doing something like that? Excuse me, just lost my breath there. So we've compiled a bunch of articles and they've compiled a bunch of stuff. And I'm a little nervous because these guys are smart and stuff, and they've <laughs> done their homework. These guys are smart and stuff. And we're not real smart. Um, <laughs> wow. So as always, we don't know where this is going to go, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I've been really been looking forward to talking to them. So we've got them on hold here, and we're going to stop recording, run off, get ourselves some glasses of uh, stuff to drink, use the bathroom, let the dogs in and out, and then we're going to hit record and drop these guys in and see where this goes. Cool. And we'll see you guys at the other side. Yay, we! All right, so it turns out we only have Patrick with us tonight because Dennis has an illness in the family or something like that, um, which is the season. This is the season where all the bugs are going around. And what did you say, Lobo Kids are, are Petri dishes or something oh, like God, that? Oh, God, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so we've just got Patrick with us from Almost Educational. So tell us who you are and what your show is, and then we'll go from there. Well, the show, the premise of the show started... Um, Years and years ago, Dennis and I used to commute together. We're real-life public school teachers. Sorry. And we would just... Yeah, thank you. Uh, I I mean, everyone always says that, but then the second, you know, funding comes up, everyone was like, they get the whole summer off. So I... Yeah, you know what? At dance class, uh, 70% of the mothers and fathers that go to dance class are teachers. 
You guys need that summer off. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, if, if he didn't, there'd be—I mean, there'd be so many strangulations of children oh, absolutely. across this country. Uh, that it <laughs> yeah, needs to happen. Your job—you guys get treated like crap. You're paid horribly, and then what you're trying to teach. Oftentimes, the kids will go home, and then for whatever reason be it religious, political, whatever, you oftentimes have situations where the parents are trying to unteach the kids what you've taught them. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, I mean, you guys, in my opinion, teachers are, are, are badass. You know, they're, one of, they're, people, they're the people out there that really need to be respected and paid a lot more. They're on the front lines. They got to yeah. deal with our shitty kids. And you can't discipline the kids because if you do anything, then the parents get all mad. I don't want you disciplining my child. It's like, it's a thankless, horrible job at this point. And I'm not. When somebody says I want to become a teacher, I'm like, what kind of teacher and why? <laughs> uh, I've been in the profession for 12 years. I say the same thing to them every time now. Oh, I always look at it as damage control. We're doing damage control for society. So, so <laughs> why why not get the best you can in there and pay them the best? Otherwise, the next generation are just going to be you know. I, I don't know what they're going to be. If, breathing you know, troglodytes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying it. Love what I have to say it. <laughs> So uh, uh, okay, so anyways. the premise was we, we were driving down to, to work every day, and we would just on the way there talk about what we were going to teach that week in our lesson plans, and then come back and reflect how poorly it went and what we'd really like to teach, and then probably fast forward about five years, I said, well, why don't we just sit down and actually record all these thought experiments we have that we'd love to teach, and you know instead of teaching how civics work, let's look at I mean I'll, I'll pick one it's kind of close to what we're going to talk about the politics of superheroes like. Would Captain America be a Reagan-era Democrat, or would he be an Eisenhower Republican? And then, you know, we work it out. What would the geopolitics of space colonization look like? And we try to take, you know, historical and political examples and wedge them into whatever goofy thing we think of that we to kind of frame the the thought experiment. We by curriculum and time constraints, we could never bring in the classroom. Have you ever tried to do this with your classes before? Have you ever? Ooh, baby steps, like real small baby, baby steps. Like you can get away with doing like a project and have the students, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good example. I think one of Dennis, Dennis once had a, an electives class where they just let him do whatever he wanted for curriculum. And he said, okay, you guys get to pick, do a research paper, a political research paper on your favorite human monster of the 20th century. And he created a list of like 200 horrible people from serial killers to dictators and then, you know, they had the students could then present any way they could uh, of why there's uh, monsters should be rated number one and had it like a American Idol type contest where the, where the students <laughs> come up with whatever multimedia presentation they could do. He said it was really fun. But the problem was with those really out of the box thinking lessons and, and curriculum plans is there a ton of work. And he was just pouring tons of work and doing this one class. Uh, because you don't have ready-made curriculum to do so. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then, you know, you have to justify it at every turn because I'm sure some of those kids came home and they you know, looked at the syllabus and said, 20th century monsters, Mao Zedong, it, 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 <laughs> like, you know, uh, Ed Gaines, like, what, what is this? What, what are you doing? And then, you know, he had to walk back and explain what it was. But, yeah, you can always have little stuff, but you've got you to gotta prepare them for the workplace and you got to prepare them for college. And critical thinking skills probably should be number one thing you're teaching them, but instead... You know, I don't want to make this a political platform show, but we seem to be more teaching more teaching towards tests and bizarre standards that no one ever has. I mean, you you have an ACT test or an SAT test that you're teaching towards, and you'll no matter what, unless you go into academia, and you then teach it somehow, you're never going to have a single test 
that's going to determine all of your life in whatever work or endeavor you go into. I have no idea why in American educational system we hinge all of that on high stakes testing. Funding. Oh, it, that, well, it, it gives someone a measurement that they can look at who are not in education and stand up and say, they're doing this well because they scored this on a test. I, I, that, that's the only thing. It gives some kind of objective measure they can look at and say, A equals B because we can see the results through C. And then, you know, of course, there's a, there's a thousand other probabilities that go into why that test score is what it is, but it, it, it's a system we have now based yeah, on the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a system that the Prussians gave us in like 1840s that we have not updated, you know, uh, the, the Prussian system of, of liberal education. I'm putting liberal and small l in quotation marks that we keep in, and just keep using and reusing and have never updated. It's, it's a bizarre. Well, there was some kind of an update in the ACT test uh, last year, I believe, wasn't there? Was, wasn't there some the, kind of changing? The state, yeah, I mean, the, the, they switch around. In the state of Michigan, we used to have ACT test. Uh, and now we abandoned that one with the SAT test. And uh, the reason why wasn't because it was a better test measurement, because the state of Michigan would save $1.7 million by switching from one standardized test to the other. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the only it's like reason. like having a coupon. Oh God. It's exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All right. In five, year, five years, when it's the Iowa test, and it's cheaper, we'll give the Iowa test. Ugh. So what is your idea... I think I know what you want to do tonight, but you brought this to the table because you've been covering superhero shows a lot lately in regards to geopolitics. You did the show about Dr. Doom in regards to Vladimir Putin. Um, so what? Ex how did you want to do this tonight? What, what was the idea behind this? Well, I want to piggyback. I liked what you guys brought up at the very tail in your last show when you said, what about um, could an average citizen become a superhero? Mm -hmm. And what would that look like, the legal ramifications and so on and so forth? I have a kind of a, a bent on that one by actually breaking down the percentages and chances that you could, you, me, anyone could actually be Batman statistically. You know I'm uh, fat, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it does involve 18 I mean, years I, of much large training, so you, you would have a chance to work it off. Me and Lobo aspire to become the superhero man bear pig, but that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm shooting more for blob at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and then I took uh, what Dennis has, uh, the sports angle, that we might, the, the, there already is a superhuman race. I'm, I'm not saying races and race of people, but a race to build a superhuman in two fields. That's military and athletics. Mm -hmm. mm. And the reason no one becomes a superhero is because, A, it's adopted by nation states to make a better soldier. So why, you know, no, no one's going to have the, the funding of a nation state to build a super soldier. And the other is, you know, if you can run as fast as a deer, you're going to go catch a football. You're not going to go catch a criminal. It's very true. So, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot. And then when I go into the Batman one, uh, there's a myriad of reasons why, you know, Phoenix Jones, you don't hear much of him anymore in Seattle. Because I think he was stabbed three or four times and almost shot. And he, I think he just hung up the mask. Well, there are probably a good thing. There yeah. are actual real life superheroes. You don't the media doesn't cover them. I think. Uh, mm -hmm. There was one called Firefox out in Jackson, Michigan, I believe it was, or was that's, it Kalamazoo? A, that is a shitty browser. That's yeah, I know, I know. Well, these guys really, they, they call themselves superheroes, but they, all they do is they're like, stop, or I'll tell you to stop again. You know, they'll, they'll like... <laughs> They'll like show up in their their costume or whatever, which the, that Batman movie did a great job of mocking. And they had to get Batman guys in like hockey pads. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but they'll like show up and be like, stop, citizen, I'm calling the police on you. You know, but that's really the extent of what they do for the most part. But there are people out there that, that do try to, there was a, a website called the National Superhero Registry, I believe it was. Um, we covered this a long time ago, a few years ago mm-hmm. on our show, Real Life Superheroes. And mostly they're just like, I mean, there was one guy who was like the Batman guy who had like a stun gun and he had all these kind of like squirrely gadgets and stuff like that. And he was trying to be they're like... Nerds. You know what they are, the nerds. The welfare. I I appreciate the effort that they're trying to do, but it's like, uh, okay. (laughs) So Lobo had a a great point when you said, you know, the reason why they're not is because they are vigilantes. Yeah. And you just, the the entire concept of a superhero is a real fascistic idea. It's an idea where you work outside of the rule of law and the rule of man to bend other people to your will. And in Western civilization, I mean, in all civilization, like those are outliers and usually tamp down pretty quickly. Uh, it just, it's just something that, that doesn't fit very well. I mean, we have a working police force, even if it is corrupted to a degree, or you know, you can argue politics are corrupted degree, but uh, an individual working against a huge mechanism of the system is just not feasible. I, I think at a fundamental level. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just, no I argument wanna, there. <laughs> okay, party pooper show's over. No, I, I, yeah. well, we're done. <laughs> yeah. You can but find almost a, educational at, <laughs> at yeah, educational.com. Yeah, no, go ahead. There is a book out by Paul Zerer, and he's a neuroscientist and a professor from um, a university in Canada, Victoria. And he wrote a book in 2011 called Becoming Batman The Possibility of a Superhero. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. He spent five years breaking. He did one for Iron Man too, but I haven't read it. And I don't know off the top of my head what, what the title is. It might be like Becoming Iron Man, to be perfectly frank. But he said, you know, the, and he's a guy who's trained in MMA and martial arts. He said the idea of physically becoming Batman is insanely difficult. I mean, you have to get someone with the perfect bone density, the perfect build, like 190 pounds of lean muscle mass, just bio, biologically based. Period. That you need that perfect slate of a biological human being to be able to, you know, shoot a grappling hook and pull himself up by body weight all the time. Those people exist. Then you have to say, okay, they also have to be a master detective and, you know, know every known science to man. So it'd take about 18 years of studying. So from the age of zero to 18, <laughs> you'd have to study all those things. And if Batman starts at age 12, you know, he's already behind the, the bat or behind the ball uh, in terms of catching up. So by 32, that's when human beings meet their peak physically, typically, he says. So that's about the right age of Batman. And, okay, you need all those conditional things to fit in. Now you need to be a billionaire. And he estimated by guys in Forbes, you need about 52 to $68 million a year a year to operate as Batman. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> okay. I went down <laughs> and sat down and, and crunched the numbers on, on the statistic probability of you becoming Batman in 18 years. Paul Zero says that even if you were Batman, because he works at night, so you have to sleep during the day, but you also have to keep up that Bruce Wayne persona, you have to take micro naps, so you're never really getting REM sleep, so you'd slowly go insane on top of taking you know, physical, <laughs> physical damage all the time. <laughs> Sounds about right. The, the life expectancy of anyone who could meet the criteria of being Batman would be, in his estimation, about 16 months, where you would either be captured, killed, or incapacitated or driven mad. So you could be Batman, but here's the statistical probability of you being Batman. The number of billionaires currently, right now on Earth, is this is pretty high. I was pretty shocked. I, I looked this up in Forbes. If Forbes is lying to me, then they're, they're dirty, filthy liars. 
<laughs> they said there's about 2,300, probably by the end of this year, 2,400 billionaires. Really? Yep, 2,400 billionaires, the highest there's ever been in recorded time when we record billionaires. Where so, are these slackers right now, then? Well, they're, they're, they're laying low. Well, most billionaires you wouldn't know. I mean, like Warren Buffett, everyone says, like, if you saw Warren Buffett or his son, who are both billionaires in uh, Kansas on the street, you'd never know they were a billionaire because they dress like normal people. So they and could be Batman. still drives a Honda Accord. Exactly, and so they could be Batman. They could no. be Batman. <laughs> well, here's why, like... Well, the, why Warren Buffett is an older dude who probably couldn't be Batman. Zura also says you have to be the build of a decathlete. So you have to be able to compete in the Olympics in every single sport and become like the peak of human physical condition. If you break down from Rio Olympics, there are 200, I'm sorry, there are 32 people who competed as a decathlete. Only 32 out of all the countries. Wow. Now, if you expand that to maybe the top 20 athletes in every sport, from soccer to I, I'll even expand it to like NASCAR because it takes a lot of muscle tone to turn left for, for a really long time. I <laughs> wow. So, you can send hate mail too. <laughs> no, no, no. I, hey, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I don't know. Most people couldn't do that. I, I, don't, I don't know if it, those guys could be decathletes, but I don't know if you could put a decathlete in a car and have them drive really fast. I mean, it's, it's, it's insanely dangerous. I wouldn't do it. Now, just to be clear, you are saying decathlete and not dickathlete, right? Exactly. Yes. Oh my okay. God. Okay. Yeah, okay. All He's right. not talking about John Holmes, man. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Come on. John Holmes would be an interesting Batman. <laughs> Point of interest, they did make a John Holmes Batman porno. I don't of course know, they man. Did. It, he seems like he'd be a bit rapey for that, though. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Rape. Well, he does have a he does have both a grappling hook and a weapon at hand all the, all the time. Just went it out. Oh wow! Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah, there there would be that. Okay, so expand that number to 250. So now our pool is about 2,600. There's probably four billion people in the age range of being Batman. So I crunched the numbers: 2,600 divided by five billion. Let's say four billion. It would be 0.000000. Zero five percent chance you could be Batman, and if you were Batman, you'd only live for sixteen months or be able to walk after your sixteen months as <laughs> Batman. So yes, so you you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's, there's always a chance, but I don't know who would want to do it. And how long you could do it? Wow. <laughs> Add to that, awesome. the person would have to have both of their parents died horribly in front of them, which brings oh, see, it down a little bit lower. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the big things, right? I mean, you, the other thing that you always have to look at in the scope of being a superhero, uh, 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 physically doing this, not for money, right? You're not doing this for money. You're not even doing it for patriotism. You feel like you have to save your, your country, I think. They're always born out of some insane tragedy or, or burning desire. If you, Either one of you guys ever read Watchmen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I have lots Everybody of Everybody would be Rorschach. <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, I mean, Alan Moore does deconstruct the superhero, but when you really sit back and look at the piece just on a whole, you have to be insane to do that. I mean, you yeah. you, you have to be an insane person to, to think that that's a proper thing to do. So again, I'll state, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a ch oh, there's, there's plenty of insane people to do it. They have to, you know, be really rich and really strong. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm kind of doughy. I can't do that. So we've established that to be Batman, it's it's not something you can just go out and do. So what are the possibilities of, let's say, an engineered super soldier? 
where do we go from there? Now, to be a superhero, like if you wanted the, if you had a team behind you and you wanted to be Batman, let's say you had a team behind you. It was like the show Arrow, where you had like some kind of a lab, or you were in contact with somebody, mm-hmm. and you had, or like the Flash, where you had, you know, network connections and you could track people with cars and satellites and all that kind of stuff. That brings it down a little bit more feasible because then you don't have to be the super genius. You just have to be physically fit, have the gadgets, and be a little bit nutty to do it. But as long as you've got some support behind you, it's a little bit more feasible. So in that aspect, that's probably, it could be done that way. Maybe we should start there. So let's say um, I'm not I'm not the brightest guy in the world. Uh, but let's say that I am physically fit, and I've got some money, and I've got a team of people. Hey, I'm going to go out and be uh, Super Combat Man, or you know, uh, Bear Man. Well, that's pig. a name. I'm going to be Bear Man. I'm going to be Bear Man Pig Man. Um, okay. And uh, it's like I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I've got this earpiece. I've got a nice set of body armor that I've managed to develop, or whatever. Um, and I can be in touch with the people back home, you know, back in the lab or whatever to go out and track what I need to do or whatever. Does that make it a little bit more feasible or no? Because, as I lose my voice, we know that the technology is out there to be able to do it. Um, well, let me bring this up. Before we started recording, Lobo and myself found this company. This is for real. I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to put this. This is a head trip. I'm going to put this in the little chat window here. You pull up on Skype. There's a little, you know, you can put the text and all that. I'm going to send yep. you a link right now. This is for real. This company. choke while you're reading it. This is a for real deal. This is a company that makes exoskeletons, robotic exoskeletons. Their company is called Cyberdyne, okay? Oh, that's not ominous whatsoever. Okay. Now, no. <laughs> the product that, now, if that's not bad enough, the product, oh and this, God. the product that they're making is called the HAL series, H A L. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. The artificial intelligence from 2001 that killed everybody on the ship. <laughs> oh, you know. But they had there, a good run. There are all kinds of companies out there that are making these cybernetic exoskeleton systems for super strength. This is just one of them, but this is the one that caught my eye the most because of the fact it's called Cyberdyne and they're making something called HAL. Surely nothing can go wrong here and not take over the world. Um, it's kind of like naming your boat the Titanic and insisting that it's not going to sink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. What's the name of your boat? I can't tell you. <laughs> but uh, a little bit of ice in the water. We're going to go out sailing today anyways. Um, so now you've got the possibility where you can do augmented humans. And there's lots of ways to be able to do augmented humans, uh, which takes us into DARPA, which is the government think tank. Do you want to take DARPA? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. The, what you're saying is, uh, this is fitting uh, the way I want to frame it. It's perfect. There's two possibilities, I think, for a superhuman. There is the Iron Man model, which we're talking about the exoskeleton, and there's the Captain America model. And they both meet somewhere in the middle with DARPA at the end. But yeah, let's go with the with, with the enhanced human through, are we saying cybernetics? Uh, by the way, Cyberdyne has the worst PR team ever, unless they're just trolling like uh, science fiction movies. Really, <laughs> I, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm looking at the article, that's fantastic. I know, this is for, <laughs> they are a real company. I did, I invested, oh, I know, yeah. checked them out. This is a for real deal thing. But they're just one company that's actually out there making these robotic augmented suits. Uh, this is just one example. This one just stuck out because the names popped out, and I'm like, yeah, this nothing about this reads into the world at all. No. Well, DARPA forever has, since 68, has been obsessed with, really since 58, since their inception as a uh, agency, the concept of building a better soldier. And they've had two ways that I've always looked at of doing it. One is through genetics. The other is through 
cybernetics in some way. Uh, the land warrior program, where you have the soldiers with the heads-up displays and all that stuff, is directly from DARPA. But they want to take it a step further with this thing called Talos. Mm-hmm. It's called a tactical assault light operation suit. And it's something that's been kicked around forever. It's essentially a robotic exoskeleton, like Iron Man. You just stick it on the soldier. The problem comes down to all the time with them is power source. Yep. I mean, how do you keep a soldier <laughs> powered with, with a lithium battery in the field? It's and, a long cord. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And the other problem they keep running into is just essential cost. I mean, it's so expensive to, to arm a soldier with one of these things. The average U.S. soldier already cost to put in the field, I think, around $50,000. If you gave even elite soldiers one of these things, we're talking, you know, two million, two and a half million per soldier. It's a huge overrun for one man soldier teams. But some of the stuff they've come out with it is the uh, prosthetics that they used to replace a lot of people with limbs that first came back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and also who lost it to bone cancer, where the idea, again, this you know goes in two different directions. One is, you know, always regrowing the limbs, kind of like throwing you in the back to tank and hoping everything heals upright. The other one is just giving you a robotic replacement. Uh, the idea <laughs> what I found was the super troop exoskeleton he proposed. This is Gorman, who's the guy who came up with this in 1990. Would be, with a name like Gorman, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. The idea was to put a guy in a shell, a giant shell, like an Iron Man shell, and no matter what happens, that soldier could keep going. So a chemical weapons attack, biological, even an EMP, ballistic threats, the idea was to, a 50 cal bullet that would tear someone in half or shoot a helicopter down would hit this thing and you could keep going. The big thing that did come out was the land system, which is the incorporated audio, visual, and like heads up touch sensor component that came out of it. The idea would be then you would give each soldier like a total spectrum of the battlefield. They could see everything you know at home from, you know I don't know, 500 miles away to the forward operating base that they were 25 miles away to what's right in front of them. So all real-time data, all the time on displays. Uh, you see this with regular police officers now when they want to stick the body cams on a, a police officer. This stuff all got to start with DARPA, with, with putting a soldier who can be connected at home where all this real-time data analytics comes through. The scary thing is now they want to hook them up to drones where they'd have a soldier operate their own drone while they're being operated by you know, a suit back at home, the fear would be, you know, if you put a guy in a shell, is he just a meat person in a shell? Is he operating anymore? Or are you just putting people in shells and having them operate? And you could have plausible deniability that, well, you know, this guy went off and did this crazy mission on his own. We had no control over what he did. In reality, you know, you're operating him as you would operate the drone. I don't know where I went with that one, but I mean, that that was some of the scary uh, rebuttals I read to DARPA's plan. At that point, we're just meat puppets. Uh, well, that's the fear. And, uh, but again, I think the cost of, of putting one of these things out is the real overrun. I, I, there's plenty of, there's a future weapons program, soldier program that they tried to kick off around 2015. Uh, and they think they tried to run it through a bunch of private organizations. DARPA holds, DARPA holds these contests every year where different, um, they're not even government contractors there's people who want to put up bids will yep. come and show off their robots or whatever they have and one of the things they try to do is a 2015 model of the of, i think it was a 2020 soldier initiative and the cost overrun of it was just huge the, the problem is with everything like the nuclon ford nuclon nuclear powered car you know mm-hmm. it's really tough to find super powered 
uh, non-Stark reactors and stick them into really small miniaturized versions of whatever you want to stick them into. And send yeah, you them need off an arc reactor, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the other problem is, you know, if one of these guys go down, you know, one yeah, that, goes that's down. That's a weapon right there. Right, exactly. Your enemy gets hold of, you know, 50 years worth of technology, whereas, you know, your average soldier goes down, they get a rifle that they could find, you know, on a battlefield anywhere. That The, the cost in terms of giving up technological superiority is pretty high. What was the Tom Cruise movie where he just kept dying over and over again? It was Ground Dogs, Groundhog Day meets Starship Troopers. Um, oh, it was... Uh, God. <laughs> The best thing Crowded about it was watching Tom Starship Cru- Troopers. It's what it was. I mean, the <laughs> best awesome. thing about it was you get to watch Tom Cruise die over and over again. Um, I'd pay for that. Oh, it wasn't a bad movie. I can't remember what it was called though. I just can't stand that Wonder Midget. I can't stand <laughs> Wonder <laughs> Midget. But they I'm gave him, they made those battle suits in that movie too. They had the battle suits there as well, where they had the, uh, you know, they had the big, you know, that wasn't the one with John Travolta in it, was it? No, no, that was oh. Battlefield L. Ron Hubbard. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, God, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, that's what it was. It wasn't a bad movie, but they had the Exos. The it Exos sounds spectacular. It was cool. It wasn't bad. You know, I, I watched it a couple of times. But again, the best thing was you got to watch Tom Cruise die over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah, the exosuit thing is the thing about DARPA, though. Here's the thing about the U.S. military. And it's been said many times, and I believe it. Anything that we know about that's out there right now, they're probably 20 years more advanced than what we're actually seeing. Oh, of course. So um, I've got an article here. I'll put this one up in the feed, too, in the uh, window here. This is from uh, University of Michigan, and this is the uh, night vision contact lenses that are rumored to be in use by SEAL Team 6. These are the ones Mm. that they supposedly used when they took down Osama bin Laden. I don't know if you've heard about these before, Mm. but it's literally a contact lens that amplifies light and gives you night vision for the most part. It uh, doesn't give you color night vision. But it does give you night vision. You pop them into your eyes and boom, you you know, it. your eyes acquit very quickly to dark conditions and enhance light and you can see in the dark with them. Um, so there are little things like this that can be done to augment the common soldier. There's also another one that they're in the process of working on, which I'm going to try to find right now, where DARPA has been working on this initiative to, um, or the Pentagon has been working on this system to try to do um, electronically induced mental telepathy. Mm-hmm. which um, I'll send you the link on that one as well. Um, here, read these right now as we're talking. Go for it. I no, am. No. I am. I am. <laughs> um, this is the other well, one The here. new helmet for the uh, the Joint Strike Fighter works along the same lines as this. Yeah, well, this technology really isn't that far-fetched. You could go out. They're not that big now, but for a while they had those toys where you'd put the thing on your head, and they had like a Jedi one, and they had a Harry Potter one where you could mentally control a ball moving mm-hmm. around that little course you could control, make the ball go up and make the ball go down. They've also got it where um, you can put a thing on your head and they were experimenting with, with game controllers where people could actually look at the screen and control their, like world, playing World of Warcraft, they can control their character on the screen by That's, doing different things. That thoughts. would not even be used for that. We know exactly what that would end up being used for. If you're going to say <laughs> porn... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it would be used for. Well, no question. Well, a lot well, of porn, our... Porn is what, what pushes most early adoption of technology. I mean, yeah. like, so yeah, that would not surprise me. Yeah. yeah. That, that'll, <laughs> porn is what's going to drive people to be like... That'll be what drives people that are stuck in wheelchairs or paraplegics or something like that. The porn industry is what's going to drive them to be able to be able to do stuff. Um, 
But yeah, these, you know, the, the, the one with the mental telepathy, though, I can completely see this happening because basically it's an idea of mapping where your thoughts come from in your brain and then the helmet analyzes where those thoughts are coming from and transmits mm. them to the next person. So you're creating telepathy. It's electronic telepathy. You're essentially communicating wirelessly back and forth. But I don't think that's real far-fetched to be able to do that. I don't think that's such a stretch of the imagination and if if what we're hearing about is 20 years more advanced sure i completely believe that this is out there and it exists it's a matter of you know who are, who are they given the technology to do what with you know are these is this the wet work stuff that you're seeing not, not to get all conspiratorial but you know is this the stuff that they're sending in the wet works teams and the seal teams and stuff like that with this kind of technology because think about no. it if you had troops that didn't have to communicate with radios around that, that could communicate on a battlefield or in a raid situation or in a hostage situation by best being able to think back and forth their thoughts and not have to communicate, you had instantaneous communication on command without having to mm -hmm. vocalize anything. Can you imagine what an advantage that would be? You know? Well, they've already got fall into, you'd fall into the plausible deniability aspect of it. Because if oh. something goes wrong, then, oh, it must have been the software. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you look at the throat mic system that's already been developed, I mean, I, you could pick it up as an average civilian mm -hmm. instead of yep. you know uh, where we put it picks up on our vocal cords, so we can talk in the lowest of low decibels, and yet it's crystal clear into the headphones of someone else in your team. That way, you don't give away your position. I mean, it, it's not that far a reach <clears throat> if you go from you know the neural <laughs> pathways to the, uh, the the vocal cords. There's something I shared with you. What DARPA came up with is a uh, a, a program. The Atlantic had a a real interesting take on it. It's a pill that the pilots would take uh, that is essentially would, uh, this is beyond me in science, the systems based neurology technology of emerging therapies or subnets. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a a acronym soup here. But you, you would eat this pill and it's essentially a forget me pill. So the idea would be to give to soldiers who have post traumatic stress disorder. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we covered this. Yeah, I, I, I thought you guys mentioned it a while back. Um, and the other one was a restore of active memory, a RAM initiative, yep. where they wanted to bring back soldiers where they could look at trauma, and they want to apply this to medical science. Uh, someone who has brain damage, it was something they wanted to use to restore uh, parts of the brain and not just rewrite the, the pathways of the neurons, but record them as you would record a, a hard drive so you could play it back and, and see what happened. So you get the full story of what happened. But the other idea would then be if you could reverse it with anything and implant memories or implant things to make soldiers see things or, or do other things, you could have, you know, a perfectly brainwashed soldier uh, who only saw the enemy looking a certain way or, or reacting a certain way. And you could control what they see on the battlefield. It was some of the fears uh, of a lot of scientists when you start playing with the yeah. memories of, of soldiers. You'd literally have a living, breathing Manchurian candidate. Yeah, exactly. And that pill is sort of out there, is what you're saying. Yeah, they, they, they started, I don't know if it has FDA approval or, or where it's at in terms of, of passing through, but they are testing it. <laughs> Who cares about the FDA at that point? We need to not. leave the FDA out of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of like that movie, uh, what was it, the uh, Jim Carrey movie, Endless Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or something like that? I know I'm getting yeah. the name wrong. Where they were going in and deleting memories out of his brain because he wanted to forget the bad aspects of a relationship or something like that. And... When you start deleting, we all. 
Well, we've oh, covered yeah. this before with Tyler, and I think we, I think Joe was on here from Ozone Nightmare. We were talking about where if you were to go in and start deleting memories out of someone's brain or implanting memories, would that affect who they are and what they are? Which is going to take us completely off course of where we're going. But yeah. uh, I, I've read it before that this this is a feasibility. We've covered that on the show before. But I guess if like if you were going to send a group of soldiers in for a raid, they were going to go in and raid the building. Well, you could implant the memory of the blueprints of the building into their brain, so mm-hmm. they would know where they're going, what's around the corner, what steps are where. You know, that would be instant. You know, that would be instant memory right there. Now, I don't think you could say, okay, it wouldn't be like the Matrix where I need to, somebody. I need to download how to fly a, a Apache helicopter because there's actually physical skills involved there. It's not just mental skills, and I don't think that we're to the point where we can actually implant a you know a physical skill of some kind of reflexes or something but i could see the practical aspects why so wouldn't now, we be able to we could teach a rat where to go in a maze when it's never been there before yeah but muscle memory and implanted memory in the brain are two different things uh, well i think i could be very well, first wrong of all, there's no such thing as muscle memory that's that's non-existent your memory your muscles cannot remember things that doesn't we we had a big argument with tyler over that he's the one who shot at us for that one <sighs> he did, dude. He shot. I right know. There. I know. I know. And he's listening uh, right yeah. now. I'm sure. But anyways, well, I, I was I was gonna mention the thing on muscle memory. I think that's always overstated. That someone thinks that you know you're suddenly creating these fast twitch muscles that are so attuned to your your body chemistry they react. You're you're, you're just improving your your muscles in general to operate better. They're not the the muscles don't have little you know neurons that operate in you know my forearms all of a sudden. I'm not a brontosaurus. Well, I don't think that's true anymore, right? We used to be told in, the, in I remember in grade school that the brontosaurus had a brain in its tail. You guys remember yeah, that? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, really? You know? No, no, I don't it remember a, that. It had a rudimentary. Uh, it had a nerve bundle. It's not actually a brain. It's a right, nerve exactly. Bundle. Wow. I, so it had it, a brain in its ass. Awesome. Huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't it you? wasn't. <laughs> don't we all? But it, it's all it is. It's it, it's nerve reaction. It's not actual processing of of information that you know. So just to be clear, ladies, men do not have a separate brain in their penis. Exactly. Okay. They have nerves. Okay. (laughs) Lots of nerves. Well, let's steer this back into course here. (laughs) Since we're on this topic, there was a thing that NPR covered last year, and I've often thought about doing this myself live on the air, where they had a thing where people were going in and essentially hooking electrodes to parts of their brain to stimulate parts of their body to bring them into a, you know, uh, you know, like an, like an in-the-groove state. And they did a whole show about how this girl went in there and she was shooting at targets and she was doing horrible. Then they hooked her up to this machine and they had a certain voltage go through certain parts of her brain and then she was on. She was hitting all the targets and she was excelling. Um, lots of studies have been done on this and there's people you can go out there and order machines to do this. Now, I've thought about doing this on the air of actually bidding one of these small machines, making one, putting the electrodes up to my brain and well, actually... So can listen to you electrocute yourself? I, I, I'm all for it. I, I'm all for it. I, I told Tyler I was going to do this on Twitter once and he was like, oh my God. But I, I really, I really want to try this to see what the effects of it are. But they're very much experimenting with where the electrical impulses in the brain trigger these things. So let's take all of this stuff if we wanted to create a, a quote-unquote super soldier for the most part, without going in the next, just technology. Now we've got the light-amplifying enhanced uh, contact lenses. You've got the telepathy helmets to be able to report back and forth between your soldiers. You've got the ability to implant uh, detailed information about, say, they're going to go raid a building or something like that in a hostage situation. You can implant where in the building they'll have it implanted into their memory, and boom, it's there. 
And then you also have the nerve stimulation to be able to do this. So you've got all these things going on at once, toss that into the soup, and you have the potential to have a really badass tra- you know, soldier on top of their training that they already have. So, well, and then you throw them in a battle suit. Well, I don't know if you mentioned that, like the whole. Well, if the battle suit is a feasibility, yeah. If we can throw them into the actual, I'm talking about stuff that's probably available right I now. Gotcha. Okay. Now, you, there, there is. I know there are battle suit things out there that are possible. You've got the battery packs that go on your back, and you've got the, like the arm augmentation, so you get the better yep. strength in your arm and stuff. That is a feasibility. I don't know how feasible that would be to go into a raid situation wearing all that equipment on you, but the other stuff that's already, you know, we're we're kind of already there. You know, not to even mention if you want to go into the realm of the fantastic about, okay, now let's talk about the drug augmentation possibilities that you have here. Oh, that's my next, that's my, that's my, that's my next uh, uh, category, but we'll say that. Okay. But we can go into it now. That's pretty much where I was leading. Now that you've got all this stuff, you've got all these soldiers equipped with the basic equipment that we've just talked about. So far, none of this stuff is super fantastical. It is theoretically possible to arm these people with this stuff, and you've got you've got your badass super soldier ready to go. He's already a marine, or a, he's already a, a you know a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team Six, or whatever. Throw this stuff onto him. Give him the hyper advanced weaponry, you know, the smart guns, things like that, which we know are out there. Um, and now you bring in. You were talking something about drugs, so. I'm a little new to the whole drug aspect of it. I'm sure there are drugs out there to be able to do certain things. So hopefully you've done your homework on this topic. (laughs) I I have. Okay. If you like motorcycles and you like comedy, perhaps you should try the Wheel Nerds podcast. Stop that. What what are you doing? I'm doing my announcer voice. It's proven super effective. It's stupid. Nope. We're the Wheel Nerds. Shut up. We're the Wheel Nerds. We're a weekly-ish comedy motorcycle podcast. Where we talk about everything two wheels and a bunch of stuff that isn't. Give us a listen at wheelnerds.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. Or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Ha ha ha! I'm gonna stop doing this now, my friends. It is the 1970s. One night, a father and son are traveling along the legendary Lost Highway on their way to a new life. But then, trouble strikes. The tires of their van are all suddenly flattened. Upon investigation, the father and son encounter a wretched, wretched man with wings. He frightens them both. Is he an angel or a demon? Find out. The Vampire of the Lost Highway, number one. Available at drivethroughcomics.com for free. Download it today. Are you afraid of what goes bump in the night? Have you or your friends ever pondered a conspiracy? Do you want to know more about the unknown? If so, then put on your tinfoil hat, sit down, and pick up your computer, tablet, or phone. Go to iTunes or YouTube and search for Secret Transmission Podcast and listen to us try to explain the unexplainable. Follow us on Twitter for updates on shows. At Secret Trans Pod. That's S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-P-O-D. Or you can email us suggestions at secrettransmission at hotmail.com. That's S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at hotmail.com. I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, give me an idea. Uh, I, I think in terms of pharma- pharmacological experimentation, there's no better laboratory than professional sports. And Olympic sports, to be more precise. 
Captain America, his origin story really is. They say Vita Rays. I mean, it's, it's an allegory for steroids. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the idea always has been, how do you get a soldier, how do you get anyone to kill someone else or, or to go into combat? They ran those studies forever after, after World War II where they did a percentage of soldiers who would actually shoot at the enemy soldier and wouldn't shoot their gun uh, at all or above the enemy's head. And it was something astronomically high, like 60%, 70% would shoot their guns away because they, they had an adverse reaction to shooting another human being face-to-face. You know, as much as we say human beings are bred to kill and we love killing, we really don't like killing that much. I mean, we like the idea of maybe killing, but the act of killing is a tough thing for most average human beings. You are aware of me and you live in the Detroit area, right? <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> I, I understand this. Pharmacological also goes into that, I believe, to a huge degree. <laughs> Wow, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but the, the, this has always been a problem of, of war fighting forever. I, during the Civil War, they really struggled to get conscripts to line up in a line, Napoleonic you know, squares and lines, stand 100 yards from each other and gun each other down. The way you fixed that was, you know, everyone always said it was brother against brother. Oftentimes, it was brother and cousin and brother and father against other brother, cousin, father, brother. And so if you stacked up you know, your brother and your cousin and your dad next to you, and they were all standing in the same line shooting each other you know, from, from afar, you're not going to run away, and you're going to make sure the other side gets shot. But you can't do that for every single battle. So fast forward, World War II ends, and the Vietnam War kicks off. It's the first real asymmetric war that the United States fights. And I, I think I sent you this, the Atlantic article. I don't remember if you did or not. I don't. Th- uh, oh. Maybe you did. You sent me a whole bunch of stuff. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's. T- I just knew you were prepared, but I, I didn't. I didn't look too much at what you sent me because I was more concentrated on what I was going to bring to the table. But go right ahead. That, that it was really for the first pharmacological war, and the idea was you had to get these soldiers into combat. All conscripts. The first time we had, you know, conscripts in an unpopular war was maybe the Civil War, where you're grabbing, you know, guys off the boat coming from Ireland to go fight in the Civil War. They've never, you know, seen the South, let alone New York City. You know, you got to convince these guys to go fight somehow. You stick them next to their brother and their father, they're going to go fight. In Vietnam, you're sending guys to an unpopular war. Well, what you do is you give them stuff like pet pills. Uh, Mm -hmm. The idea was they gave out so many pharmacological pills of all kinds. These are ideas that were played with by the Nazis. I mean, I was just going to say they were giving, they were Nazis were giving their troops meth (laughs) for the longest time. (laughs) Grinding their teeth up. Well, in Vietnam, (laughs) lockjaw. Oh yeah. For long range reconnaissance mission and ambush, they gave them tons of amphetamines. I mean, just by the boatload. The idea was there was a, a Pentagon papers were released about Vietnam and how things were quickly devolving. One of the things that highlighted was how many uh, dexedrens, I think it's how you say it, dexedren was the, the amphetamine derivative that's twice as strong as uh, benzedrine, which is used in the Second World War that they were given the Nazis. The idea was, I mean, the annual consumption of dexedren per person was 21 pills in the Navy, 17 and a half in the Air Force, and 13.8 in the Army. Now, you think oh, those are kind of low numbers. These are the average guy. Okay, so, so they're in there for, you know, nine months in a tour. So whenever they're going on a long-range mission, they're giving one or two of these pills. These are just guys who reported taking it. They gave them tons of stuff. I mean, codeine by 24 tablets were in every med kit they gave out. So the idea was you just get them super, super stoned and super, super <laughs> revved up, and you send them out to go fight. Roid rage! <laughs> it, it, it really was. I mean, it, it, was the, it was an amphetamine war. 
you know, when they come back, you give them downers. When they go out, you give them uppers. The idea initially was to cut down on the, the rate of soldiers kind of losing their cool in combat and having mental breakdowns. Because in the Second World War, you had about 101 cases per 1,000 soldiers. That's about 4%. Korean War, 37,000 per 100,000. So it starts going down because of the introduction. In Vietnam, everyone thinks, you know, the, the story of the Vietnam vet breakdown, you know, going crazy. It fell to 1% of having mental breakdown in combat because they were so revved up on whatever they were on. You know, they're in their own alternative reality fighting war. The problem is so short-sighted when they come back, all these guys no longer have these pharmacological escapes from what's happening. Well, you know, we're, all this stuff starts swarming back. It was like, you know, you give insulin to a diabetic for a long time. And then all of a sudden, okay, no more insulin, diabetic. You got to maintain on your own. All these guys came back and, you know, they weren't on amphetamines anymore. They weren't on downers anymore. That's why you saw heroin usage, you know, skyrocket in the 70s. A lot of these guys had to find a way to deal with, well, you don't have that military-grade stuff anymore. Yeah, that's how people get hooked on Vicodin. You take Vicodin. Yeah, exactly. yeah that I've got – the doctor gave me Vicodin for my leg. I think I've taken maybe four of them, and it's only when I really need to because I'm terrified to take them. You're yeah. a horrible drug addict. <laughs> I am. I'm a terrible drug addict. I, I am absolutely – Yeah, I'm a horrible alcoholic. I don't make high-alcohol beer either. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> right. But, I mean, this excelled like almost every – pilot in the Navy and the Air Force now takes some kind of amphetamine just to stay, you know, go pills. They take some kind of go pills that are rationed out by the Air Force and Navy. These are, these are things that they're using to enhance human beings day to day. Now, I, I'm going to shift completely away from the, the military and go back towards athletics. Athletics are awash in HGH, steroids, and everything else. I, again, I'm just going to throw this out because I, I did exhaustive research. I just want to throw all my numbers and stats because I'm Do probably... It. Sorry, guys. Okay. Uh... Tony Mandrich from Michigan State is an offensive tackle. He came out in 1989. When everyone thinks about football, I think you know the offensive tackle are these big, fat, sloppy guys. His name was the Incredible Bulk. He was huge. He was 304 pounds, six foot six, a massive human being. But he also ran a 40 at 4.65. He was a machine. A 4.65 was a 40 some guy would run as a running back in the 1960s. Yep. He had a 30-inch vertical, which means he could dunk. Yep. And he had a 10-foot, uh, a 10-foot three-inch broad jump, like the long jump guys in the yep. 30s. That were their, like those were their records they were hitting. Now, he was never tested for steroids in any way. But I'll give you some other crazy numbers. The average lineman in the NFL in the 1920s was six foot, 200 and probably 10 pounds. Today, that's your average wide receiver. The average NFL lineman today is six foot five, three hundred and twelve pounds, and they are faster and they're forty and hundred times than the average nineteen sixties and seventies wide receiver. Now, not all of our you know PEDs like HGH steroids, but there is a race in terms of how people train. Like before it was just go lift weights in the seventies. Just whatever that meant. Go eat a lot of food and go lift weights. All this comes out of the East German program during the Olympics from 63 to oh, when they fall down 88. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. That uh, sounds about right. All right. I'll give you some perspective. They had 17 million citizens, like 17 million people. Uh, how many million people live in Michigan right now? 13. Uh, 
maybe four. Yeah, I think it's around. Yeah, that's around there. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, okay, so that would mean the state of Michigan alone would win four hundred and fifty-eight medals during the Summer Olympics alone. Oh shit! It's not going to Olympics. And the idea was, oh, well, how do they? How do these East Germans do so well? Well, a they were pumping them full of every single steroid that the Soviet military and the Stasi came up with. Everything that came on the market from the direct pharmacological, they just put them in those guys. Ivan Drago was like not that big of a parody from Rocky IV. Mm-hmm. No, no, he was like, spot on. That character yeah, was spot on. That's a legit thing. But the other huge thing comes out is all these training methods that bodybuilders and pro athletes now, like periodization, uh, the build-up method, uh, five-by-five training, all these training programs all come out of the East German program. Also, blood doping comes directly out of it into like Lance Armstrong's ass. When he's you know training for the Tour de France, <laughs> like all this stuff comes out of Lance Armstrong's ass. Well, I was gonna say ball, but I thought that would sound a lot worse because he did lose uh, one cancer. I yes. don't think you inject him in, into your ball, but maybe that's how he lost it. Maybe that is how he lost. <laughs> but I mean, you have uh, the other thing too is I, this sounds very X Men like, but you have these state-run boarding schools where they looked at kids at ages like 10, 11, 12. And they did tests and studies on them and saw who would be the best Olympian, who would be the best at Olympics based on their genetic makeup, by their parents breeding, by all these things. And they would stick them in these, these boarding schools where they would train these kids from like 12 to 13 to whenever they could compete in the Olympics, fill them with every drug they could, give them the best training methods they possibly could. And lo and behold, I mean, as amoral as it was, you produced an insane number of super athletes. Well, I know for a fact, I know a girl who actually did skate in Olympic speed skating. Um, hmm. I knew her for a while. I haven't talked to her lately, but she does live locally. Um, and she was talking about how, um, I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to out anybody about anything, but she was talking about how there are people to this day that they're becoming more and more clever how they do this kind of stuff. And there's actually athletes that will get themselves pregnant Um before the Olympic event or during the, you know, just before the event. So their body starts to produce certain hormones, et cetera, mm. to enhance their Olympic performance. And then afterwards they'll abort the fetus. Now that sounds very cold and cryptic and stuff, but she's like, yeah, this happens. This kind of, these kinds of things happen all the time. They're forever coming up with different ways to enhance your red, your red blood cell count, uh, things along those lines to be able to give you that extra edge. So they're always doing different programs to try to test for different things. I think this year, or was it last year, they said that the entire Olympic team, the Russian Olympic team was disqualified for doping for the yep. most part. Yeah, it was last year. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So you, this stuff does go on all the time. Uh, and the drugs to be able to do this stuff are becoming more and more advanced. They're not they're not like the classic steroids anymore. They've moved on to more advanced things. Um, well, the, the next step is gene therapy. Yeah, the, we're, we're going to get there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to I mean, so all these programs from the 60s to the 80s are, I mean, it's a little laboratory where they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, which are these young kids they stick in these boarding schools and finding out what sticks. And by the 70s and the 80s, they have a perfect program and model. It's been adopted by every major sports program. I mean, it sounds nefarious and gross. I mean, I used to coach high school sports. Now, we're not giving PEDs to kids like when they come out. But the, the training programs and the targeting of kids is unnerving to say the least. I, You'll have these creepy gym rat hanger honors that you see anywhere all the time. And they're just trolling, not looking 
for, you know, they're not pedophiles, but they're looking for kids to groom to be the next athlete. And that's how you have all these weird hanger honors. Like, how did this guy know this kid when he was 13? Well, it's these guys who hang out in gyms and, and find kids who have the right physical build, and they just groom them to be super athletes because they want to be their manager one day. There's huge money in it. And the idea is now there's wholesale programs. I mean, like, you, you'll send your kid to a basketball school. Like, there's a school in Connecticut. Uh, you're not going to Woods, I think, maybe. I don't know. I'm talking UConn? about Yeah, but UConn, is that what it is? Not the college, but they have their own, like, basketball academy. They send kids off from all across the country. Yep. Yep, okay. Where, I mean, it's insanity, but, like, it happens because there's so much money involved. And you're, you're creating an, a, a class of freakish super athlete kids whose entire life is dedicated towards being the peak human being they can be. The program. Do not really question the program. The program. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you're, you're creating little mini programs all around. And the result is, uh, until maybe we get this part of gene therapy, there's only so much that the human body can do. You can only push the limit so much, and that's why you have so many. You hear all these kids like, you know, when they're 16, how this kid blow out his ACL and MCL? Well, I mean, the human body isn't made to go that fast and be 280 pounds of pure muscle at 16. You, there's only so much, you, you can't manipulate and make your bones denser. You can't, you know, rewire your cartilage yet to make it, you know, do what <laughs> that human being, yeah, do what that human being does until you start fiddling with the genes. Mm-hmm. So basically, your idea is that we've already established that if we're going to make the technological super soldier, we throw all the technological mumbo jumbo that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and now you enhance them with drugs. So yep. you've got the super conscious, super aware, amped up, drugged up, uh, which is really scary. You've got the super soldier amped up with technology, super guns, the telepathy helmet, night vision goggles, augmented equipment, and now you've got a, a super soldier, for lack of a better term, with the possibility of roid rage. So. Okay, I throw one last one. I'm, I'm yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, you look at the the use of Adderall among college students. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, Adderall. That stuff uh, is nuts. It, it's nuts, but I mean, it's not the reason. It doesn't make you smarter. Nope. But it makes you hyper hyper focused. Yeah, and it's like so does Ritalin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, do you remember the episode of The Simpsons when they put Bart on focusing? Yeah, focusing. Yes. That's that's Adderall. Yeah, well, that ties into baseball because they knock a major league baseball satellite out. Yeah, of, uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so now, so for the lack for for practical purposes, yes, it is possible to make a military technological super soldier based just on what we have right now. That is, you know, as we said earlier, whatever technology is out there, it's probably twenty years more advanced than what we know about, and with good reason. You don't want this stuff getting out there. So now we're going to swing it back around. We were talking before we went on of actual examples of people that have real-life mutations where you've got the, um, uh, what is the one that we're, the myostatin, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of what the myostatin thing is? Very, very tangentially. You're going to have to walk me through it. Okay, the myostatin, basically, there were, that I know of, there are two children that were born with this, and they've seen it in animals as well. I believe it's, uh, there's been cases of it in cows, too. Lobo, for whatever reason, as a cow expert, he may correct me on that. 
Um, I don't know. What? What, wait, aren't you like? <laughs> I thought you were like some kind of a bovine expert or something like that. We had no a, equine, bro. Equine. <laughs> no, thought, not bovine. <laughs> yes, you were really into cows or something at one time. There was a big thing about it on the air. Me, like a year and a half ago, you got on my case about it. Anyways, so there is this uh, condition where it's myostatin-related musc- muscle, 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 muscle. Hypertherapy is a rare condition characterized by reduced body fat and increased muscle size. Affected individuals has up to, have up to twice the usual amount of muscle mass in their bodies. They also tend to have increased muscle strength. Uh, myostatin-related muscle hypertherapy is known to cause an any medical is not known to cause any medical problems and affect individuals or intellectual are intellectually normal. So they're not meatheads. But what happens is is this rare genetic condition where the body just starts producing. Oh really swollen muscles you were talking about the belgian blue because i brought that up that's why you said that you jerk <laughs> that, that that's my only i've seen that gigantic bovine belgian blue it looks like it, it's just one big block of muscle yeah well there's a there's a, a breed of whippet too a uh, dog that has that mm. it's very rare but it's it's a, they're swollen. you can see it they're, yeah, they're <laughs> swollen. Like, yeah, yeah. dude those gains uh <laughs> <laughs> Where's Chuck when you need him? So basically, you've got a situation now where they're trying to figure out what causes this and if they can use it for people who have muscle atrophy and things like that, if they can genetically take this and actually use it for that to be able to augment people's muscles. Or, you know, because if you can trigger this, it's like, boom, you're done. You've got your body just produces muscles. You know, you, you just you become a, you become a meathead. You know, it's like having steroid use without having to have steroids, which is pretty freaky because then you've got like, okay, well, now we've got the athletic department with gigantic muscle dudes. Um, <laughs> so that's there. And there actually are cases of people that have this. Now, there was another one where I'm trying to find it right now where it's the incredibly dense, uh, the um, the genomes that cause the basic, the, uh, super, uh, the, the super bone structure where you've got people out there that have basically unbreakable bones, mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite of osteoporosis where their body, the calcification in their bones basically makes their bones unbreakable. Um, there was a guy who, the character Bruce Willis in the movie Unbreakable, there was a guy that actually had a situation like that where he was in a car accident. The car was really racked up, and he walked out of it with scratches and stuff, but none of his bones were broken. And they, they were like, how in the hell is this possible? Well, the guy's bones calcified so much to the point where his bones were like steel. They were basically unbreakable. Um so now they're also trying to genetically engineer that for people who have osteoporosis, which is the exact opposite of bone decay where they're trying to trigger this to be able to say, all right, now we want to have people regenerate their bones. Mm. So you take the super swole gene and the unbreakable bone gene, and you put them together, and then you've got people running around yelling spoon, saying that they're nigh invulnerable. Oh, my God. Hi, Arthur. Uh, Here, I'm going to send you one of the articles right now uh, in the chat window. What's the LDL? The, uh, The bone thing? Yeah, that's a bit lengthy, though. I'll I'll try to send that to him. Uh, in the late 1990s, a surprised radiologist in Connecticut came across a real life version of Bruce Willis's character in the movie Unbreakable. The patient came into a hospital after a motor vehicle accident, but rather than reveal, uh, revealing broken bones, the X-ray revealed an extremely high bone density. Bone density testing later confirmed it to be the highest level recorded. In 2002, Richard Lifton, a genetic geneticist at Yale who specializes in genetic analysis of human outliers, people with extreme 
phenotypes discovered that a mutation in a gene called LDL-related receptor protein 5 was responsible for the man's high bone density, a condition shared by about half of his family. While the mutations in this gene can sometimes lead to health problems, Lifton says that the family's only complaint was that they couldn't float in water because their bones were so dense. Hmm. So basically, it's a gene. I'll send this one to you right now since I've read a big chunk of it. The idea basically is that a person's bones become super incredibly dense. Now, think about that. If, you, um, if you're a guy that knows you have incredibly dense bones, I think this is what the synapsis, I could be wrong again, for what the movie Kick-Ass was all based about. The character in that movie, he became a superhero because I think he either he couldn't feel pain or... I think he couldn't feel pain. That's what it was, and that is a real thing too. That is a real thing that actually happens as well. So these are people that have actual real-life genetic mutations that essentially make them, you know, give them mutant X-Men-like powers. Um, there was also a guy that we covered many, many years ago. Now, since we've covered this guy, the skeptical side of the thing is that this guy was... Um, let me see if I can find this guy here. Um, we covered a guy that was able to stick his hands into boiling hot grease and, oh. you know, pull out chicken. Yeah, here it is. Uh, I'll send you this one. This is a guy over in one of the Asian countries. <laughs> oh, God. Here, I'll send you this. It's the last link I just sent you at the bottom. Yeah. Don't try this at home. Super hands. Chef takes cook cooking to the extreme by dipping his hands into boiling fat. Dipping his hands into boiling fat. This chef takes his cooking to extremes. Con super hands trechen, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing the name wrong. Con! Don't uh, do that. <laughs> can bury his hands into boiling fat and sever, uh, sieve ch fried chicken with his own fingers. Did I say that word right? Whatever. Amazingly, the 50-year-old, a world record holder, walks away with no blisters at all. Um, yeah, how is that possible? That's insane. I'm sorry. I'm, this, this is, of well, all the things we talked about, this blew my mind the most today. The, this is There is a skeptical answer to this, but I don't necessarily agree with it. We talked about it uh, before the show. Amazingly, the 50-year-old world record, okay, uh, Mr. Trenchin from Chiang Mai in Thailand says, when I put my hands into the oil, it feels hot, but it doesn't burn or blister my skin. I can fry rice, chicken, and many things with just my bare hands, which sounds really disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Mr. Trich discovered his unique talent several years ago when he was accidentally splashed with hot oil but suffered no injury. The father of two was working in his fried chicken stall when he was saw a squirrel balancing on a tree eating a mango. The mango fell, into, fell and splashed into a huge wok of hot fat right next to him. He said, The fat flew everywhere, all over my hands, arms, uh, blah, blah. It should have seriously hurt me. I remember looking into the mirror, expecting to see blisters and red blotches, but there was nothing. He added, the redness had disappeared. There was nothing. Uh, it goes on and on. The skeptical answer, because there's videos of this guy on YouTube doing this. You can watch him actually reach into hot grease and pull out chicken and so forth with his bare hands the skeptical answer to which i don't necessarily agree with is that he dips his hands into water and then he hurries up and dumps them into the oil and the water actually fry flash fries off of his skin which in turn yeah what's it called what was the uh, the name of it lobo leading frost yeah leading frost I don't necessarily know if I agree with that in this situation because when you take boiling hot uh, oil and you throw water into it, you have steam, explosion, blah, blah, blah. William Shatner did a whole video about it, about deep frying chickens. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. So I don't necessarily agree with their the skeptical thing to it, but for some reason this guy can dip his hands into boiling hot oil and not get burned. Mm. You know? Um 
So I don't know uh, what would you what would your superpower would you be super firefighter man for that for that point I, I don't know. Be the torch, man. <laughs> yeah, it lights you up, man. He's running. <laughs> yeah. Butane all over you. Come at me, son. Yeah, you really want to light yourself on fire and run into a bank that's being robbed? You're going to set the bank on fire. You're not exactly going to stop the robbery. Look, there's always collateral damage. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Well, okay, then, then here's my question. I, I'm, I'm sorry, was that... Do you have more? No, go right ahead. Okay. Then what would you do... I mean, would you seek someone out who already has these mutations and then try to inject them with, you know, human growth hormones and give them amphetamines and give them telepathic neural link-ups and all that stuff? Or would you then use something like CRISPR? That's what I'm thinking. Okay, that's where where I'm going with all of these things. All of these different examples of these people that have these hypergenetic anomalies or whatever, like, I don't know what causes this guy to not fry to death when he's cooking Colonel Sanders' Thai chicken or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my thing would be, like, I could see somebody somewhere going, you know what, I wonder what makes these people tick. Let's see if we can take CRISPR and find out what these genetic anomalies are and see if we can recreate them somehow. Mm. Um, you know, I can, I can totally see that. I don't have a problem with that. And then there's the other situations where you've got like the blind people that it, for, there, it was a big thing a long time ago. Now it's very common where you had the blind kid who would click and he would use the sound to navigate. He could, he could ride a bike and play basketball and all that kind of yep. stuff, a la daredevil. You know, he was able to see sonically. Apparently that's not that big of a thing anymore. A lot of people do that. Now, well, um, the, the original kid, they called himself Bat Boy, right? I mean, yeah, that was a, 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 yeah. a big joke. Echolocation, but, okay. yeah. Yes, okay. But apparently lots of lots of other blind people are now doing this. It's 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 becoming very, it's well, I won't say it's common, but it's, it's something that's not unheard of anymore. It's not just that one individual that did that. It's happening a lot now. Um, there's one more that I'm going to read here. In the, well, there's, there's a couple more. There's one, uh, Daniel Browning, rubber boy. Smith can pass his body through tennis racket and turn his, uh, turn his torso 180 degrees. Basically, this guy has very rubbery skin. If you look him up, he can stretch his skin. Like he can take the skin from his neck and stretch it up over his nose. He's got this really weird genetic anomaly in his skin where it's very, um, rubbery. I've also read about tribes. Was it? And Lobo, I know you know this one. But there's a tribe somewhere in Africa that can take spears and stab themselves with it, and the spears won't pierce their skin. They've got this really hardcore skin. There's lots of people that have these anomalies where they've got something to do with their skin, a la the guy who does the deep frying with his hands, where they've got unusual skin that allows them to do extraordinary things. Um, mm. The last one I'll read here. Uh, endurance throughout his career, uh, Finnish skier, Eero Mintrianta, whatever. Uh, uh, ruin that at all. Was suspected of blood <laughs> doping because his red blood cell red blood cell count was twenty percent higher than that of other athletes. But scientists later discovered that a mutated gene gave Mintrianta whatever and fifty members of his family fifty members of his family uh, high sensitivity to hormone. Erythiotopia. I'm going to put it in here. Maybe you guys can pronounce it. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this because I'm going to butcher the hell out of it, so I'm going to put it in the chat window here, and if one of you guys wants to try to pronounce that word... Oh, boy. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever that word is, or EPO. Normally, EPO steps up the red blood cell production during exertion, bringing on more oxygen to keep the muscles going. This is what I brought up earlier. They're trying to do with Olympic athletes. Uh for Manti, the process was accelerated. His body was overproducing hemoglobin, which deeply reddened skin and uh, a higher than normal blood oxygen capacity. 
Uh, Manny won seven Olympic medals, three golds in the 1960s. Because he was able to run marathons and do races and so forth, his body got, his body got more oxygen through it. Back to what your CRISPR thing is. Mm. Even genetic breeding along those lines, anything, these are examples where you could take with CRISPR possibly, it may not be possible now, but you could take these genetic anomalies and possibly make a super soldier or make a mutant of some kind with these abilities to do something like that. I mean, you've got the super strong kid that we talked about earlier. You know, you've got super strong man. There's your, there's your, your athlete Batman. He's already naturally strong. Now all we have to we don't have to worry about training this guy to become the super athlete. He's got the genetic anomaly. Now all we got to do is get him up to the you know ninja super detective level, which you could probably do within eighteen to twenty years. By the time he's thirty two years old, he's already at peak you know peak physical performance. He's already steroid man without the steroids. Mm. So you could theoretically have a super soldier just with that guy right there, with the muscles. It's just a matter of combat training and throwing on some of the other abilities, and boom, you've got your super soldier. Who? Yeah, I, Wim Hof. Yeah, I thought of him too. That dude was, I mean, he can control his body temperature. He's extreme cold. He can hold his breath forever. All right, talk about him then. Well, I mean, he's been, he's the dude that ran up Mount Everest in shorts. Oh, yeah, the guy we had on earlier. Let me see if I can find something about him real quick. Here. Wim Hof uh, raised the eyebrows of many scientists after he was able to use meditation to stay submerged in ice for almost two hours without his core body temperature changing one bit. This is remarkable and adds to a growing body of evidence that points to the important role consciousness plays in our body's reaction to certain situations and ailments. Since, since Wim was able to successfully maintain his body core temperature in such harsh environment, he's since gone on to climb Mount Everest in his shorts, wow. resist altitude sickness, yeah, complete a marathon in the Namib Desert with no water, and proven under a laboratory setting that he was able to influence his, influence his autonomic nervous system and immune system at well. So this dude is, this guy already is a superhero. He was my last shining beacon I was going to throw out there. I'm glad you mentioned it. I love this guy. I mean, we, yeah. I, watched a, I watched a program, oh my God, maybe five years ago, where he was encased in ice. Yep. And he sat in the ice cube. It was nuts. Yeah, but there was, well, I, of course we know now that he actually did it, but I remember at the time there was all this speculation as this guy couldn't be doing this, how is he faking this, you know, all of those kinds of things were going around. Um, let's just skip Ingo Swan. How about we do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay, wait a minute. No, because we did we did say before the show we were going to do this. So, Patrick, I'm going to toss this stuff back over to you because you brought up the book uh, Men Who Stare at Goats and yeah. all this kind of stuff with remote viewing. So let's take it into the realm of woo-woo. Now, myself, I don't have a problem with believing that remote viewing is possible. Thus far, I have not seen anything to convince me that it's possible. But I do find the idea of remote viewing and these psi powers um, very intriguing and very interesting. But my jury is still out as if they ever actually did happen or did not happen. Uh, for me, it's one of those things that I am not able to prove or disprove that it happened. But I do find it very fiercely fascinating because Stargate spent how much money to get that project going, Lobo? Um, Millions. Yeah. <laughs> so since you've researched this, why don't you take this one from here? Well, okay. The, the thing that always fascinates me about Stargate and MK Ultra and the idea of the, the, the concept of the first Earth Battalion in general, that you're going to create a battalion of psychic super soldiers who can walk through walls, uh, you know, camouflage themselves, 
from opponents and change enemies' minds and become peaceful monk Jedi warriors. And talk to dolphins. <laughs> you know, and, and also talk to dolphins. There's oh, that too. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and, well, you kill goats of their minds from the book. When I read John Ronson's, <laughs> John Ronson's book, and I, I have listened to Coast to Coast when I was a kid a bunch of times, I saw all those names that floated around in the same world, like the Ed Dames. And I was like, oh, Ed Dames. Like, like when I hear that name, I'm like, oh, what a, what a Connie Con man that guy is. But what I really think all of that ultimately came down to, and this is just my own crackpot theory of a crackpot theory, it's much like Reagan and Star Wars. I think both on both sides, the Soviets and the United States had it as a disinformation program on both sides that they were going to, you know, the Ruskies are developing psychic soldiers as well as the United States. And they wouldn't mind sinking a bunch of money in because they thought the other side was also going to sink a bunch of money into it. The byproduct they did find, and which I found most disturbing at the end of John Ronson's book, Menesteric Goats, was all of the techniques in terms of psychological warfare, of getting your enemy to completely kind of shut down mentally and turn themselves over into almost zombification so you can make them pliable were also not proven to work, but essentially torture, that sensory deprivation, instead of making your warrior monk sit in a sensory deprivation tank and be able to see you know, a submarine from a million miles away, you could throw someone else in a sensory deprivation tank and blast Barney uh, at them and strip them <laughs> naked and you would mentally break them down to the point where they would go back to whatever side they were going to go and parrot back anything you did because you essentially wiped out everything. You, I mean, you wiped out their will. And then you see all that stuff implemented when Abu Ghraib went down during the Iraq war and a lot of the same handbooks used there in terms of uh, putting people in deprivation situations, uh, the humiliation, the breakdown of the psyche to remold the person into what you want them to be. I think that's the darkest thing I got out of the book. And um, maybe maybe you're not quite making super soldier, but you're you're you're, you're making I don't know a super victim. It, it was that book itself, Ministers of Goats, takes such a dark turn. And well, all you're of dealing with stuff. programmability in the end. You're dealing yes, with basically exactly. how to break somebody down and reprogram them to a certain yes. extent. Um, which that is, you know, there, there is a lot of grounding in that. Uh, I remember when the, uh, the Waco, Texas thing was going on, it's happened a few times where people have taken over compounds or hostage situations and they'll sit and blast music at them nonstop. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, there was a, a situation, I remember exactly what it was, but they just played tiny bubbles over and over again, super loudly at these people for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end as loud as it could go oh no i'm thinking I'm getting wrong there was a there was a there was a uh, a reality show and that was one of the challenges was is you had to go and sit in this room for 24 hours where they played tiny bubbles over and over again backwards forwards high speed low speed sometimes backwards and forwards at high speed and low speed and they just essentially tortured this guy. And by the time he got out of this room after being in there for 24 hours, he was ready to kill somebody. He was just going nuts. Wouldn't you be? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's my only takeaway in terms of like making a super soldier idea is uh, the other big thing is you always want you control. Want all your, uh, yeah, you want control of, of your, your soldier, right? I mean, you don't want Captain America with all that power running around going rogue and coming back you know, to the States one day when he's discharged. What the hell do you do with them afterward? I mean, what do you do with someone like that? Uh, the idea of the big thing that, you, that they found with you know blasting Barney and playing Tiny Bubbles is when you limit someone from REM sleep, 
you know, their their body will be rested at least at rest, but their mind won't, and they'll become yeah. much more susceptible, much more easily docile, and way higher aggressive aggression levels than you would normally have. I mean, well, you're that's talking why, about the Jason Bourne effect. That's what the whole principle about the the Bourne exactly. Identity movies is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, man, you beat me to the punch there. I was, I was, I was, <laughs> we I think was, a lot alike. <laughs> and then and it takes it, Jason. But I mean, it's the idea of the you know the age old idea of the sleeper agent or the agent that you have that you can put all these memories in, these false memories in, and, and these programmability in, where you have someone that you can slip in behind enemy lines or in the general populace, and then boop, hit an activation code like a Manchurian Candidate or Jason Bourne, and you've got your berserker ready to rock and roll and do whatever you you know you need to be done mm-hmm. plus all the other stuff we said before i mean if they're already geared up with all this great uh, wet wiring works through the body and they're on uh some kind of gene therapy then you also have someone where you can program just like you would with the drone but they're biological so that's my most woo-woo far-fetched i had here well again yeah, I don't. I don't think it's that far fetched. I'm. Okay. I'm still. My my jury's still out on the whole remote viewing thing. I, I find it really fascinating. I find. I, do too. I love the idea of it. It's also like one of the basis for the whole Montauk Peninsula project, which is where Stranger Things came from. That was you know mm-hmm. part of that as well, uh, which we've covered a few times on here. I think. Um, I, you know, it's it's fun to look at. It's a romantically cool, weird idea to look at. I don't know if I'm ready to throw and hang my hat on it, but it's still cool to read about and see. But there, I tend to wonder if there's something to that stuff. You know, it's for I wonder how much of that is actually, you know, how much of that was fake. Because, again, if it did happen and we did manage to come up with a way of remote viewing, uh, I think what was their success rate? It wasn't bad. It wasn't it wasn't 100 percent, but it was still fairly high. But if you did develop this and it say, okay, wait a minute, this actually works. We don't want people getting, we don't want people finding out about this because now you're going to find out where the secrets are at. So the best way to do it is say, oh yeah, the whole thing didn't work. Let's just shut it down. The whole project was a failure and blah, blah, blah. It's like you spent a whole lot of money to research this for a long time to all of a sudden say, no, it doesn't work. We're done. Yeah, but you can't really use that line of thinking because we spent a whole lot of money on giving people LSD. Yes, that right. is true. We did. We <laughs> and did. they just scrapped that. Look how well, many I, military planes we've developed. And, you know, we've said not that we've spent, you know, billions of dollars developing this plane. Now we're not going to do it. It's like, uh. Well, you, you, that's the other thing, too, is, is there's, there's the human part to it. I mean, you have these guys who are working on the project for years, and you have contractors working on the project for four years. They want to keep funding going. Of mm-hmm. course, they might, they might. So they might fudge some data and say, oh, yeah, we have huge gains in this area. But in reality, they go back and go, we got we to gotta fabricate something quick, man, because when. You know, General Hardass comes in and sees that, you know, we've got nothing in the hopper. They're going to shut us down. So I always wonder if there is, you know, some pushing the the boulder along just to make it look good. But then when, when we talked earlier about the idea of hardwiring the brain mm-hmm. in terms of connecting uh, soldier-to-soldier communication, what's to say you couldn't do something? I, I, this is going deep woo-woo, I know, down the road. But where you could plug a soldier into uh, something technological that would help them, I don't know, be able to remote view electronic stuff. 
I mean, that is, I believe can, that's a feasibility. That goes, right? Yeah, that that I can see be. I could see that being a feasibility far more than something like remote viewing, because then what you're doing is you're electronically triggering receptors and stuff in the brain. Like if you wanted to send an image to somebody, okay, this person looks like this. You're here. This is where they're at. Like we've got aerial yep. footage and we want to see this. You know, to be able to beam an image into someone's brain, because there's there's things there's a situation. You already have technology like that. There's a museum over in Europe where if you stand in a certain spot, they will actually project, like you can be looking at a picture and the information, the sound is literally beamed into your brain. It uses your skull to react to the sound waves. To You hear it inside your head. You don't hear it through your ears. That technology is out there and it's, it's being used. There's, uh, I think there's also billboards out there that recognize when you're looking at the billboard and it does something it catches the glint of the light off of your eye which is the same way like when you it's not that far-fetched your cell phones do my cell phone does it it can tell if i'm looking at it and if i'm not looking at it it shuts the screen off to conserve power it's got a function on there that does it on my galaxy s7 um so there is things out there that's not that far-fetched and if you're going to have things like remote viewing or information uh, transference. I could see that with those kind of helmets because all they really need to do is pinpoint where in the brain that that activity takes place and target those areas with specific information. I think a year ago they were actually able to put a headset on people. Maybe it was more than a year ago, but it happened where they were able to put a headset on people, have them look at something, and they were able to get a rough visualization of what was going on in the brain and be able to reproduce that onto something else. Uh, Lobo, I know I recovered it. I can't remember exactly what it was. The picture wasn't 100% accurate. They could be looking at like a red rose, and they were able to, they, the image was fed into the brain. The brain was scanned while the person was looking at a rose, and it would gather the information of yeah, what was flaring. It was part of the God machine. Uh, it's the same, it was mm. the same machine that was used to uh, induce uh, sleep paralysis. I don't know if it was because it transferred it printed, it showed an image on the computer, but the image it would be like a red blotch with something coming off yeah. of it. Yeah, um, it, you it stimulated the it stimulated the neurons in the brain the same yeah. way. It was it's the reverse of what for the, for sleep paralysis they would they would use the god machine to be able to stimulate the neurons in the brain to make you have the same same sensation as if you were being they watched. had a, a being watched or something was in the room with you. Mm -hmm. It was the same generalized technology that was being used in order to stimulate the areas within your brain to recognize a certain pattern. And just the recognition of the pattern alone would be allow your brain to. Our brains fill in gaps. Mm -hmm. So it, it, when we see something, we we're, we're hardwired. To, yeah, we're hardwired to to see patterns, to understand patterns. So just the rudimentary pattern of the rose would give us the symbol of the rose. We'd see it as a rose. Mm -hmm. Other certain uh, subjects would see it as perhaps a different variety, like a like a gardenia or perhaps a geranium. But it would still be a flower. It would still be a red flower, green stem with leaves mm -hmm. hmm. yeah so i don't got a problem with believing that that, te that technology probably is there and we just don't know about it and i could see huge applications for something such as that you know it's the the, the ability to, the ability to transfer information like that would be huge you know if you're in a super soldier type situation again it's not a problem not a problem believing that at all so suffice to say um not uh, Batman, probably not possible. Individual person being Batman, probably not. Uh, government use, be able to create super soldier? I would say, yeah, possible. 
uh, more than likely happening, in my opinion. And I'm not trying to be crazy, conspiratorial, anti-government whack job. <laughs> no, I think I, our best shot is CRISPR. I think our best yeah. shot. Well, that's the is other, CRISPR. That's the that's the next step outside of technology. If you want to actually breed super soldiers, or if you want to take yeah. a super soldier and try to augment. Well, them. not even not even breeding them though. I mean, if we were to utilize CRISPR and be able to uh, to take and utilize gene therapy. You'd still be able to take someone that would be considered a prime objective, and through gene therapy, I don't know how many years it would take or whatever of gene therapy, you would you'd be able to unlock latent abilities through the use of. Uh, well, it depends. Do so you want to throw stem cells into the mix? Because if you can take stem, you've got people that are getting injected with stem cells that are regrowing their spine, spinal cords, and getting use back that way. Well. The only the only problem that I I can see if we could unlock how telomeres are working, mm. then we could essentially turn back the clock on someone and have as much time as we need to be able mm -hmm. to to get a process. And then once that person is to that point, then their genetics could be replicated. I mean, it's it's science fiction, yes, but it's also science fact in a lot of manners. Yeah, it's it's we're we're on that fringe edge right there. You know. Um... If you think about it, CRISPR, really is, I mean, the fringe edge of science in general. So this is all so, you know, Max Headroom, 20 minutes in the future stuff. I really think stem cells, gene therapy, and CRISPR is going to be a massive revolution in the next 20 or 50 years. Like, the, the potential unlocks so many things that we have just the most basic concept of. Well, like you were talking about rolling the clock back on a human being. I mean, that, I think that's just the, the cusp of it. I, mm. I, I really, the one thing that keeps me, it keeps me excited about the future is the progress we've made in terms of biological science in the mm. past 50 years is astronomically higher than it is in any other branch of science, I think. Yeah, well, I agree. Let's roll this around in terms of practicality and take it back to where we started from. The Batman mm. scenario. You're Elon Musk. You've got a lot of money. We don't have to be Elon Musk. You're a millionaire that nobody really hears about, but you've got You're a lot Bill of money. Gates. You've got money. So you say, you know what? I kind of want to be a superhero. Get me a pair of these contact lenses. Get me uh, get me this body armor. Uh, get me one of these helmets with the you know transmitting capabilities. Um, I've got this nice office here. I've got all this technology. I'm running Google or whatever my company is, and I've got a lot of cutting-edge technology that we're not putting out on the market right now because we don't want people to know we can do it. So... Uh, Let's see if we can whip up me being some kind of Batman. Let's try this. See, you're not, you're not, you're not going to be Batman. You're talking about Tony Stark right there. Okay. That's very Tony Stark. Well, okay. here's the other thing. Okay, you, you Tony Stark is fine. A person becoming a technological superhero. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, you know, I, I guess in a sense it is feasible. Would anybody really want to do something like that? Uh, I think that's what you ultimately come down to. I mean, if you were Elon Musk and you were as wealthy and as well-known as he was, what would compel you to do that other than absolute madness? I mean, absolute singular madness that you would think that in, in any way this would be a good move. And then you'd have to be smart enough to know the second you did that, you would kick off an arms race of every other crackpot dictatorship from North Korea to some rogue general out of Russia deciding they're going to run their own program. And then I have no idea what would happen next. But mm. 
there is a chance because <laughs> we've established is we have a chance we have a chance we've established we have established without going into woo woo kookery that the technology does exist this the basic technology that we do know about we know that technology is 20 years more advanced for hidden purposes we know that companies out there like google and all these other companies have things in the works apple that we don't know about that in the r&d departments um i think it's feasible that it is possible to do it. Now, would the person want to do it or something like that? No. Could you do it and keep a secret identity? Oh, hell no. Because we're in an age where there's no privacy and everything is tracked and everything is seen with traffic cameras. Everything can be, you know, you're, you're, there'd be no Bruce Wayne Batman. Like somebody would know where the Batmobile goes right. or where the Batplane flies to or where things are being transmitted from. So the idea of like having an alter secret, super secret alter ego that nobody could find out, not going to happen. Somebody will find out, and it will go out there very quickly, because you're going to have an army of people that are going to be out there trying to find you. Uh, but technologically, yeah, I think it's I think it's possible. Uh, genetically, you know, we've discussed that people do have strange genetic anomalies and abilities that are out there. Uh, you know, the daredevil situation is possible. I guess I don't know why you'd want to go out and be the blind echolocation superhero type of situation. Why not? Um, well, I, I don't know. You know, um, it comes down to the psyche, I guess. At that point, would you want to do it? Why would you want to do it? And I, I don't. If I'm rich, you know, and I've got a lot of money and I've got tech and stuff like that, I don't think I'm going to want to risk going out and getting myself killed or causing problems for myself trying to go out and be a superhero. For the most part, I, I don't. I don't think I'd be a Tony Stark. Well, I wonder if you were Elon Musk and you had access to all that stuff and you said, well, how much more good could I do being Elon Musk and developing new technology, being a philanthropist, or how much good could I do of being Elon Musk and going and breaking up street crime? Oh, I, you know, I think the, the other, high, yeah, yeah, the, the other one would far outweigh the fact that you're going out and rescuing someone's cat from out of a tree or keeping somebody from getting mugged or something like that. Yeah. Who are you? I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> I just don't see it happening. <laughs> what I want to do is I want to go out and build a fleet of ships to go to Mars because I'm Elon Musk. Why, why are you talking like that? Because uh, you need a throat lozenge. Uh, I'm Elon Musk and I'm a superhero. No, no, you're you're not. You're not a superhero. No, no. <laughs> I just <laughs> you're not fooling hey, anybody. Hey, I got a job. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Wow, you're Elon Musk. Thanks, man. Hey, listen, I'm gonna give you my resume. I just saved your life. Yeah, I know. Here's my resume. I just got out of college. I gotta go now. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see it happening unless unless you're Tony Stark. But again, I just don't. But I think I think any of the situations are possible. I don't think it would be quite the comic book like situation. I don't think you're going to have, you know, people because then you go back to the vigilante thing in the beginning again, where you're also going to have the law enforcement after you for vigilanteism and things like that. <clears throat> um, and if you are Elon Musk and you've got the Iron Man scenario going on, yeah, the military is going to be like, so uh, yeah, you know, what's because uh, if that technology is out there, the military's probably got their paws all over it right. for the most part, you know. So Thanks. I would uh, I would safely I would think that uh, we agree that yes superhero situations are possible but not practical um, for the most part I don't see uh, I just don't see it happening in everyday life for the most part you know for it to happen because it would have happened by now if it was feasible to happen you know um, like you there what's what's your name I'm stick my hand in boiling oil guy <laughs> well, can you stop <laughs> stick this guy my from hand in boiling oil guy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you know, well, they did down so sweet that they were actually able to uh, cross genetically breed a pig with human with human genomes. So we are one step closer to man bear pig man. Well, okay. to be honest, we were not really that yeah, far. We weren't that off far anyways. Begin with. Yeah. So we weren't that far. And as we established in our cannibalism show, like, apparently human meat tastes a lot like pig meat. Oh. So. Yeah. I, you know what? Even if something was had our organs in it, I'm not going to stop eating bacon. Oh yeah. It's not going to yeah. happen. Oh, that brings me to a confession that I have to make in the closing of the show later on after we're done oh, with this. Jesus. Yeah, I've come to a harsh term about myself, but we'll we'll discuss that after we're done with Patrick here. Am I going to have to slap you? Possibly. Maybe. And I won't even have to pay you for it this time. Anyways, yeah, we've had John here for an hour and a half now, and this has been a pretty fun, <laughs> healthy discussion. Um, I can oh, foresee us doing this again in the future at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. This is great. Uh, so this is the chance where I give you to plug your show and anything that you want to talk about or put out there. Okay. The show is almosteducational.com. That's where you can find everything for the show. Our social media is Almost Educate. On Twitter, we don't have Facebook. We're not that savvy or cool. Uh, no Pinterest. You can email the show on at almosteducational at gmail.com. Uh, if you're on iTunes, Stitchers, uh, not SoundCloud, we're on SoundCloud, but any other platform that plays your podcast, you can find us. Um, next week, the, the premise of the show, or I don't know when it's going to come out, so I probably should ask that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're there now, so go ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, you just cut this part off. I'm sorry. I I, I didn't think of uh, that before I said it. But uh, oh Christ, I'm all lost now. Just say at some point in the near future. <laughs> at some point in the near future, you hear us talk about one of these th- three topics. This is not normal. About if Dennis thinks that the entire republic has fallen and we're slowly falling towards uh, fascism, it's already here, or we're uh, as Gorbachev said, World War III is down the road. Uh, we're going to talk about the alternate history of space travel. What if NASA took a different turn in the 60s? And then down the road, I think alternate history, what if the British invasion of the Beatles never happened? What if they never showed up Ooh. in the Ed Sullivan show? Ooh. And I did change a thing today that I hopefully you guys will cover about this whole thing of if California secedes from the Union, what oh, could you're happen? Re- you're reading our minds. That's how I'm going to try to calm Dennis down and take his own tinfoil hat. He won't believe the articles he was sending me, like in terms of what he thinks is going to happen. Like I, I, I was like, all of it was just the the fringiest fringe stuff from ever. I was like, none of this is going to happen, Dennis. Like this doesn't work this way. But we'll talk it out. No, the Cal exit thing fascinates me. Like I, I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I'm not expecting you to answer any of the questions now. But I'm really curious. Is a is it possible? B if it does happen, what will the ramifications be of it? What's going to happen where you have situations like people in California now that California, say, becomes its own company? I mean, country, company. Well, that's good. Sure, that'll Maybe work, that's too. Uh, become well, its only- own country. What happens to the people that have U.S. citizenship? Are they dual citizens? Do they lose their dual? Do they lose their U.S. citizenship because they're now a member of California country or whatever? Um, California country. Well, <laughs> the, o- the only thing I can tell you shorthand right now, putting on my government teacher hat, you would need two-thirds of the states to vote yes, to have them secede from the Union. Uh, you need a constitutional amendment to do so. The only other time this was floated, we had a civil war. So I don't I don't know uh, how that would work, but I, it's very difficult yeah, but to do. If they don't want to be there, what's going to stop them? You know, how, I, I, uh, there's a part forces. of me that supports it because our country is based on, you know, a bunch of people saying, hey, screw you guys, we want to go do right. our own thing. Like in Michigan, we have the Upper Peninsula that wants to. It's it's been floated many times that the Upper Peninsula wants to secede from Michigan and become its own state. Yep. And the people they up there just join Canada. 
Well, they, they really want to become their own state because it pretty much, other than the bridge that attaches the two, it pretty much is their own state up there. There's a lot of people. Up that. You know, the people up there, they get pissed off because they're affected by things that happen down here. And I kind of want to be like, yeah, go ahead. You want your own state? You know, go ahead. That's part of what this country is based on is, is freedoms and things like that. And if, if they really want to do it, then, yeah, do it. Sure, we'll have another state, you know. But I don't know how, what their income and all that stuff is going gonna, is gonna, to, how it's going to be and what it's, how it's going to work. But well, sure. The other big thing would be, uh, I mean. Uh, I've, Toss this into your show when you guys do it. Bring put that in there. Federal, federal income would be also be, you know what, we're going to do a whole show just on this. You just, yeah, you just, did, you, just whole, you just did a whole episode for us because I, I just had a million thoughts right out through my head as I worked it out. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, can, can I throw just this crazy a future topic maybe for you guys on the show? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we talked about DARPA a lot. Did you guys ever read the book or hear of the Jasons Group? The what? No. Nope. Jasons. What is it? It's a secret. Really? It's the Jasons, the secret history of science's post-war elite. It's a think tank that helped create almost all of DARPA's uh, programs. And it's these 12 scientists that they would get based on the myth of uh, the, the mythology of Jason, the face looking at all aspects at all time. And these guys would just sit for a retreat for two or three months from all across the country, these professors. And they were given free reign to cook up as many insane ideas as they possibly could. That sounds awesome. It's, yeah. it's a fascinating it's, it's a fascinating history. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? Uh, this worked pretty well. So down the road. Why don't you look it up, and then we'll have you back on and talk about it. Oh, you just made my day. Because <laughs> uh, this flows pretty well with us here. So yeah, absolutely. We'll do a show on that down the road, and maybe you can have Dennis back on again when you come back on. Because I'm oh, all for like it. it too. Yeah, oh, I'm all for it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thanks for being here. You know, uh, again, I really enjoy what you do. Lobo likes what you do. It's been a lot of fun oh, yeah. talking to you. Um, I really enjoy, well, we, we both actually do. We really enjoy roundtable conversation shows like this just to try, to try to put different ideas and different things out there. So this has been a whole lot of fun talking to you. That was great. Oh, I, I've been excited about this for a year ever since uh, DMing back and forth and nothing ever working out. So I'm really happy. <laughs> well, we'll do it again. Idea, oh, please, please, please. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again. Open an invite for us to whatever you want to come on. You throw out a topic and the, the guests always give us a topic and we'll bring them on. We can, we cool. can, yeah, we can work something out. That's not a problem. But um, thanks for coming on to the show, Patrick. We really appreciate it. And the show is almost educational, and you can find it pretty much any place you can find podcasts. Again, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. Patrick from Almost Educational. Hopefully Dennis's kid's doing better or whoever was sick in his family. Um, yeah. I have no problem having those guys coming back on in the future. I can I, I, I can see it happening again real soon. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like happen. by the end of the year, it's going to happen again because I get the feeling that they can flex their wings with topics over here with us that they really can't do as much on their show. They can go a little bit more over, you know, to different directions over here with us, which is cool. Um, 
and he really was excited about coming on here. And uh, I find that kind of weird because like they're so much more, um, Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. How, how do I, how would I call it? Um, Mm. How scholarly than we are, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would I would venture to say that's an accurate statement. Yeah, there's so much more like, scholarly and blah blah blah, you know. And I'm like, do you want to come on? Because I, I was I when you hear their show, they would you would see. I would think that they would come across as somebody who's like a skeptic about most of the stuff that we talk about. Like when we do the ghost hunting and stuff, I I would I was worried that they might grab onto something like that and be like, I don't know about these guys, whatever. Yeah, um, I, you know what? They listen to our show and they seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, haven't helped them. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Poor bastards. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, go over and check their show out. I really, I really highly recommend it. If you like what we do and the ideas behind what we do and what we're trying to teach people and stuff like that, they're a fun show. They really are. Even their political shows. I don't do politics at all. I've stated it on Facebook. We've stated it on here. I can't stand politics. No. Like all over Facebook, it was like, gee, I'll be so happy when this election's over with because people can stop fighting about politics oh. and it has not ended. Things are so divisive, but I can listen to their political shows because they don't go too crazy or whatever. Unless you're really grounded in your political belief, then you might want to steer away from their political shows. But anyways, um, so yeah, I need to do this dark confession about myself. Um, (laughs) All right. Being that we are now in the uh, in hashtag Trump's America, um, I've been doing this low carb diet for a while now. Uh, I went off it around the holidays because that's what you do around the holidays. It's kind of hard to stay low carb when you're sitting at a you know Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner with a bountiful feast of fattening food in front of you. I have been losing weight. It's been you know I've been doing very well at it. Me and the wife have been on it for a while now. Um, I'm not much of an exercise guy because I have had the problems with my leg and stuff, which is part of the reason why I decided to lose weight. Um, and with a low carb diet, you basically eat meat, cheese, you stay away from bread, sweets, you stay away from carbs for the most part. So I began eating a lot of bacon, which, you know, that, that tells you, you can do that, but I don't like to do that because bacon on the whole is bad for you. It's very fatty. Um, it's just not something you want to be consuming all the time. And I eat a lot of breakfast food. I eat a lot of eggs and things like that for breakfast. So, um, I came to the realization I, I broke down and I, I did one of the things that I've been rallying against for the longest time. Um, some of you may remember way back when we had the Church of Bacon on here that I rallied extremely bad against turkey bacon. Um, I have become an eater of the turkey bacon. I, I, I eat have, turkey bacon. I like turkey bacon. I, I have converted over to the. I, I've converted. Wait, over wait, to, wait! You've converted over to turkey bacon. I have converted over to turkey bacon. That's it, folks. You just heard it. This is the end of Project Archivist. I, I have converted over to eating turkey <laughs> bacon, and I was like, I was eating one day, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of grease in this pan, and I'm like, yeah, this is low carb and stuff like that. I'm gonna lose weight eating this, but I'm still putting all of this fat into my body. And plus, you buy the bacon, then it cooks down, and you lose a lot of your meat because a lot of it's you're fat. buying the wrong bacon. Then well, no, I've tried you need all- to get thick slab I Joel have. bacon. I, I've ha- I've actually had that. Um, and then I thought about it. I'm like, mm. well, for the money that I'm paying, I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna suck it up. And I'm gonna go out and buy some uh, some turkey bacon. I think what happened was is the turkey bacon I tried before. I bought uncured turkey bacon. Uh, and that was probably why I disliked it so much. So mm-hmm. this time around, I went out and bought a couple of different brands of turkey bacon, and it's not as greasy. It's still, it's it's not depending. I've like the Oscar Mayer turkey bacon I found oh, actually gee. cooks up fairly crispy. Um, oh, get Jenny O. 
Uh, I haven't tried that one yet. We have uh, good. a retail chain up here called Myers, and they have their own yep. brand of bacon, turkey bacon, which was not bad. Walmart brand is good. I haven't tried that yet either. So uh, I have made the switch to turkey bacon. I am enjoying it. It's a little different. Uh, depending on what brand I get, it doesn't have the crispiness, but on the whole, I still have the big slab of bacon. It doesn't cook down the same way. It's not as greasy. I actually had the wife try it this morning and she's like, this isn't really that bad. I kind of like this. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. it gets the wife approval. It costs a little bit more, but really, I, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more for the turkey bacon than it is for like whatever. Cause we buy whatever bacon's on sale. You know, it's really weird. It's cheaper here. Not here. It's, it's a little bit more wow. money. But the thing is, is the amount of bacon that I have left after it's cooking is so substantially more than buying the regular bacon. Bear with us folks. Okay. I know we're going off at a bacon tangent. here long enough. They understand. <laughs> so I have made the conversion to turkey bacon and I am pretty much phased, uh, regular, uh, man, bear pig, pork bacon out of, out of my diet and uh I'm, I'm digging it you know i i i don't feel bad about well, i'm gonna i'm gonna fry up some strips of turkey bacon and just snack on these i don't feel bad about doing that anymore which before i never would have i you know that's what a lot of low carb i'm just gonna fry up a whole package of bacon and snack on strips of bacon i could never do that because i was always like this has got to be bad for me yes i can do it just because i i can do it doesn't mean i should be doing it so yeah that's 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 my big confession and uh I am now a turkey bacon eater. Um, it's good stuff. I've been forced to eat my words and take back what I have said about turkey bacon. Yeah, you talk shit about turkey bacon I for tur- quite yeah, some time. I did a lot. I did a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my big confession. And I, I think I've reached a turning point in my life. And, uh, you know, the doomsday clock is now one minute closer to midnight because I'm eating turkey bacon. <laughs> I don't think you're the one who did that. Yeah, they did move it. What, the doomsday clock got moved to two and a half minutes to midnight? Yeah, they moved it half a minute, yeah. Yeah, and I always think of that Iron Maiden song every time they bring that up. Which, the Watchmen, too, that was one of the things in the Watchmen was the whole, mm-hmm. you know, midnight clock, how close They only are. have to go another half a minute for it to be Iron Maiden. That's Pretty two much. minutes to midnight. Exactly. So, uh, anyways, uh, no show the next two weeks. We're taking the next two weeks off. Uh, primarily because I haven't booked any guests and I don't want to throw a show out there just to throw a show out there. I'm going to take a break. We've had a lot of compliments lately uh, mm. about how quality of the show's been and how this year we've really been, you know, firing on all four, six cylinders, eight cylinders, whatever cylinders we're firing We're, we're a metro. We're three solid three cylinders. Yeah. <laughs> metro. A geom. <laughs> that was, I had one of those when we got married. That was my oh. first car that me and the wife owned when, oh. when we got married was a geo metro. And I remember. Ooh, those are abysmal. Uh, we would give it gas. gas. It was great on gas because it didn't go anywhere. That's um, very true. I remember we got a flat tire and I just about, I just about lifted the car up to be able to change the tire on it. Yeah, I'm and, sure. You know, it was, Oh, <laughs> that was our first car that we got. We had a Geo Metro when we first got married. That was the first car that we ever owned. And then after that, we bought the small escort station wagon, uh, which was a decent car. Uh, but yeah, so next show, no show for the next two weeks. And then, uh, we start back, uh, kicking into things again. Uh, we were going to do a show, uh, covering the whole world of erotic, uh, paranormal. Uh, but I got plans. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just, you know, I was like, well, you know what, we'll, we'll put this on the back burner for later and we'll see. But there was one, apparently some, Sometime this week, there was uh, somebody that was major into the field of paranormal erotica that walked away from it. They were one of the big writers of Bigfoot porn. 
um, <laughs> for the most part. It blows it just my mind. Funny, dude. It does. Uh, I, I don't. But I guess there's a huge market for it. Of course there is. Uh, we've had Sharon on here before, and she hangs out on our Facebook page, and Sharon writes paranormal erotica, and mm-hmm. uh, I I guess it pays the bills. You know, I that's guess. <laughs> hey man, that's what you do. What you got to do. It's like anything paranormal. There's apparent. Well, you know that one of the was that Rule Thirty Six or Rule Thirty Four. If it exists, there's porn for it. Absolutely. I remember when the color changing dress was a big thing. We were talking about the. Uh, I was there was that paranormal erotic. I was ass raped by the color changing dress or something like that. <laughs> I guess yes. there's another big world of dinosaur erotica. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> what? I, just, I don't understand. What is this? What is know. this? I don't know. People are bored, man. It's 2017. People are bored. So anyways, what it looks like we're going to be doing for at least a little while is I still have, we've still got a bunch of interviews coming up and we are going to get back to doing some ramble cast here in the future pretty soon. But all of these interviews have been stacking up and falling into our lap. So we've got a, uh, we still got a few more interviews we're going to blow through. And then uh, I think we might take some time off from interviews to put a couple of ramble casts together. Um, you supposedly have something in the works. No, don't. Supposedly. We've said that a million times, but no, this brings me to something not a million. else. I think we're at uh, 12 now. Here's the thing with our Patreon page. We do have Patreons out there. We don't have a whole lot of Patreons, but I'm going to do something with the Patreon page here pretty soon. I've got a thing on there where if you subscribe over a certain amount that I've told people, if you pay this much a month, I will give you guys an exclusive episode uh, once a month. It is becoming increasingly harder for me to be able to record an episode every month. So what I'm going to do is I might knock that off of there. Um, Plus, the other thing I found is that a lot of the times when I record these episodes of the Patreon people that are subscribers at that level, most of the people that are out there don't even listen to the content that I record. (laughs) Because I've asked people, I'm like, hey, what would you think about this? And they're like, you know what, I I just donate to the show because I support you guys and I love what you do and I want you to keep doing, which is great because those people have have bailed us out so much. The Patreon people are literally how we got our, like my computer died and and when when our service went down and we had to move to a new site and it pays for our Skype calls and it's, it's paid for our domain registration. The Patreon people have come through huge and we don't have a lot and we love you guys dearly. But one of the reasons I was going to walk away from the show is it's become harder and harder for me to produce quality, consistent content. And every month that time rolls around, it's like, well, I need to do an extra show. I need to do an extra show. And what's happening is I'm getting to a point where I'm just going to start recording garbage shows just so Patreon people that are paying for them can have content. And I don't want to put garbage content out there for people. So. I'm going to try to figure something out. Uh, I think we've nailed down a way to possibly do live shows. And what I'm going to try to do is that there's a way we can do it through Google Hangouts and through a different website for recording purposes. And I think we're going to give a crack at doing a live show every once in a while. And what I want to do for the Patreon people is that if you're a Patreon, I'll be like, here's the address to go to. We're going to be recording at this time. If you're a Patreon, drop in. You can be there when we record the show. You know, and then everybody else is just going to get the show after we do the live show. You know, they'll get the after, you know, the after thing. Kind of like back in the day, anybody that's out there that listens right now, kind of like what Erie Radio used to do and what Transmissions from the Bunker used to do. I kind of want to do a live type situation, maybe along the lines of what Tim Benal does, where I've got some kind of a thing set up where we can do something like that. And the Patreon people can be there and be a part of it and see it all go down. 
but I need to figure something out to do something different with the Patreon. As well, I'm still going to continue to throw, um, now that the year's over with and we're getting back to normal, I'm going to start throwing old episodes up into the Patreon feed for people who haven't heard some of our old episodes or some of the some of the better old episodes that we haven't put up in a while. Somebody was asking about the Hobo episode earlier, so I'm, I might throw mm. the Hobo episode up into the Patreon feed as well. So I need to figure something out what to do there. Now, if somebody's out there says, you know what, I don't want to be a Patreon anymore, whatever, cool, fine, I got it. I'm not going to hate you for it. I totally understand. I just don't want to keep throwing crap content out there. You know, one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing right now is because we've been, things have been falling in our lap and we've been taking more time to put shows together and do the kind of stuff that we really want to do. Um, should we bring up the fecal matter thing again? Because we were talking about it off no. the air. You don't want to? No, no. All right. leave it be. Okay. <laughs> Just leave it be. Well, we'll get back around to it because we're hearing, Yeah, we'll revisit it at some point. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Well, we'll we're going to do something with it. We're hearing your feedback. We know that you guys like the Fecal Matter show as much as we don't like doing whole shows on it. We'll we'll do something with it at some point or another, which is sure. weird. <laughs> it is, but it is, you know, it is what it is. We got some funny I'm Still not on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, you took a break, which is fine. I don't blame you. It's like no. the whole poly- it's a, it's so crazy right Just now. So, no. It's so nuts. I've never ever in my life seen this kind of wacky environment oh. that we're in right now. You know what? I'm on Instagram and Twitter and my messenger is open for Facebook. That's the only app that's still running because yeah. it's a separate app. But is, even Twitter at this point is just, ugh. Yeah, but Twitter, you can tune it. Like I can, yeah. With me, with Facebook, it, Facebook doesn't bother me as much because if somebody's out there posting stuff consistently that I don't necessarily agree with or don't want to see, I can just unfollow the person. And I don't see it, so I've able I've been able to cut back on, you know, whatever. Because my political views run right down the middle with a lot of things. A lot of people have problems with me in politics because I don't steer a set course. Um, and I, the only problem I have is when people come on my page and start arguments over something that I post. That bothers me a little bit. It's like, don't, don't come and start fights in my house. You know, that's the only right, thing that bothers you're me. You're going to stand on my lawn and throw rocks at my house. We're going to have a problem. Yeah, but, you know, th- as long as people, you know, you keep it civil when I post stuff, I'm fine with that. So, and I'm really on, I'm, I'm literally on Facebook only to interact with our listeners and to, to run the Facebook page and keep continuously posting strange news up there. But I am seeing more and more people leaving Facebook and coming over and following us on Twitter and following the stories that I post up there because I do try to post different stories and different news articles and things like that on Twitter than I do on Facebook. Uh, but that's about as far as I go. I don't go too much farther within the social media realm as those. Uh, Facebook page is growing more and more people are finding us on Facebook on our Facebook page. Um, cool. A lot of people are lurkers. There's been a few people that interact every once in a while. Lurkers are fine. If you just want to join our Facebook page and see what's out there and, you know, see the news stories that we post up there on there. Uh, I have a few authors that have joined the page that I've asked for interviews that haven't gotten back with me yet. I think they're kind of feeling us out and seeing what we're all about. Uh, one of them is a paramedic and I really, really hope to hear back from you. You know who you are. Cause I'm dying to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy's books. I don't want to say who he is until I can get a confirmation from him that he will come on the show. Cause I'd love to hear, I, I think this guy would be a great element to have on the show. Um, I think that's it though. I think that's everything I've had to say. I've made my bacon confession and we've been rambling on for a while. So we're going to call it a show and we'll see you guys in two weeks. And, yep. uh, I think that's it. This is Ro- uh, Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. I almost said Lobo again. That's been you a did lesson. again, dude. That's weird. <laughs> I don't know wow. why. <laughs> this is Rolo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Lobo from Connecticut. Uh, I don't know. 
yeah, go over and check out Almost Educational. Thanks again, yeah, Patrick. Dude, it was a lot absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. It's a good show. All right. Peace out, folks. Bye-bye.
you can, oh. hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pull it up here because I actually uh, saved this to the folder. Um, okay, no, that's not it. That's a thousand dollar fine for eating a chicken McNugget naked. Um, <laughs> hold on here. Oh, here it is. 